do the whole worst open in the business thing. Let's all right. Let's see. Let's let's see how bad I can butcher this. Football.com and the DLF family of podcasts. It's me, it's me, it's that old SFD roaming the streets of Superplexity, and this is the Superflex Super Show. It's Frenemy Week. I got my my number one Frenemy in here. Uh, and and the, here's the theme. Peter Howard, like I was going to talk to you whether you are here or not. So we finally just decided, all right, let's let's just let's just hash this out. So thank you for being here. As always, I I'm gonna get all the pleasantries out of the way up front. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. What? No, uh, <laughs> I gotta say, every week I listen to you do that opening and um it's worse in person. It's it's worse in person. Like so much I, worse. Just, I gotta say, I thought it would be better. It's not. It's uh, clearly the worst, the worst way to open a podcast. Um, you need yeah, you like your. You, doing, you need your. You need your third cup of coffee after that I need intro. Four. I need an extra four. <laughs> I, I really do. I, some of us, some of us grind. Okay, some of us have, uh, are working on two hours of sleep, so we need our coffee. Like, don't, don't bring it here, John. Don't bring it here. Yeah. No. Uh, you're welcome for my time. It is uh, something with which I'm so valuable. Well, obviously, like the, there's like maybe two people in the audience who have heard me before, uh, so they know I'm not actually this condescending. <laughs> the rest are like, this guy. I'm never, never checking this guy out again. Ever. This guy sucks. And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. No. Uh, what are we talking about today? <laughs> apart from all the things you're wrong on. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about. What am I wrong about? What? What? Actually, I, I, I like I said, I want to get all the pleasantries out of the way up front. So, uh, and I want to be a good host. And um, for the handful of people be first. who don't already know, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, first time for everything. So. Let, let me be nice to Peter Howard here for a minute. For those who don't know, uh, Dynasty Grind, is that still happening right now? But this isn't me being nice now. This is me saying I, I don't pay attention <laughs> to that part. So <laughs> are you still right. doing that? Okay, well, it's always a good sign when you have to flag the insults. Like, by the way, I'm being, <laughs> I'm being edgy and uh, insulting right now. Okay, thanks, John. I could have just that. left it um... totally back in <laughs> No, uh, yeah, Dynasty Grind still happen every Wednesday at 9.30. Uh, me, Dynasty Outhouse, and Zach Reed go live and just talk about Dynasty in general. Mostly we just end up answering or talking about the comments that, that roll in from people watching the show. So, uh, yeah, it's basically just a back-and-forth conversation talking about specific things anyone watching is interested in. This trade, this move, this year. Um, and, and that's fun. It's more of a It's obviously a little more interactive than the podcasts that we all do. And um, because you get to answer specific things, but also try and we we try and talk about what they're asking, because uh, I find most things don't have a yes or no question, especially in Dynasty. Anything, anyone with a half decent process can say yes or no to the same player in different trades or different situations on different teams, because uh, the main 
difference between well there's a lot of differences but it all comes down to dynasty and redraft is that dynasty has value and you can't redraft literally there is no other draft apart from the rookie drafts and so you've got to be able to maintain a roster while trying to stay competitive and and so depending on what your team looks like or your league situation is or league scoring so much of the generic advice doesn't apply to a lot of dynasty leagues and they're listening to shows trying to get ideas but it doesn't work for them or when they try and play it it doesn't work for them because that's the way the league plays or their league scores or what their team looks like in that situation uh, yeah. anyway sorry i went on about that but i really enjoy the dynasty grind um and uh yeah 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 that's still going no, there, there was, there's a lot of important stuff that I want to get to there as well. Some stuff that I kind of planned on, but uh, you kind of foreshadowed it a little bit. But uh, to continue with the introduction, the longest introduction ever, um, not at all. Oh, this is the introduction. But... <laughs> okay, well, I'm just saying. I'm still introducing you, man. Right, I'm right. trying anyways. I'm trying to be a good host for once. Uh, oh, Your feelings, but uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm proud of you for trying. John, thank you <laughs> thank you that's all i needed to hear uh and then and then dynasty crossroads uh a part of the dynasty league football.com um family of podcasts and honestly like this is super conflicting to me because to me this is the first of all this is the best dynasty podcast going um best fi- fantasy football podcast going uh you're like kind of the our our version of dan carlin it's like hardcore history and then but like from there you kind of get into some you you start with this like this awesome history lesson like you tell us a story and then you get into some fantasy football analysis that i'm just like what where how did we get here because I, i went from just like really enjoying this story that you're telling to just absolutely hating the analysis that you're putting. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It, it, like it, no, you did. You good. That's that's the theme. <laughs> like well, I'll, I'll bring you in high, and then I leave you thinking, "Wow, that wasn't worth it." Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I've tried over the last few months to just reorientate the Dynasty Crossroads. Ever since Jake left, I've been experimenting with different ways of doing the show as a solo podcast as an interview show and what am i now that jake has left and i still don't know apart from obviously better i'm better now that jake has gone but other than that i still don't fully know but i was re-listening once again to an older fantasy football show called dynasty in theory by adam harstead who i'm pretty sure hates hates me by the way but i really (laughs) like his work Uh, i've spoken to him on the podcast as well and I had the same feeling I always get when I listen to that. You should really, if anyone hasn't checked it out before, it's still available. Like all podcasts are free. Um, But it's the last one was produced several years ago. And there's only like 14 shows, but the first eight are perhaps the best. It's a fantasy football podcast I want to listen to. Um, But very quickly, it stops being that because it's really difficult to keep that up. And Adam talks about it on the show too, because there's a lot of prep, a lot of preparation. He was actually making his own music background themes for it as well, while being an, a full-time fantasy analyst. And it didn't make any money because podcasts don't, as you know. Um, and as I know very well. And so it just it became not worth the effort. I guess that's probably not how he'd phrase it, but it, it died. But 
it was kind of like that. It was like the Dan Carlin fantasy football show, essentially. Now, I can't yeah. do that. I can't do what Adam does. I can copy what Adam's done, and I do actively to play Dynasty um, and try and improve it and track the things that he has taught us and other people, as I do with all the smart people I find. I just steal their ideas and then try and use them. But the creation of the con I can't do it to that level. But I want to listen to that podcast, and it doesn't exist. So I thought, why don't I try to do some of it. But then some of the similar issues came up. It's too much work, frankly. Um, and I, I'm putting in way too many hours on fantasy football anyway. So I just decided, how about every other week? Because I've been trying different formats anyway. Um, and so every other week I do an interview show where I try and learn how someone plays fantasy football and try and what I can steal, what I can borrow, things, lessons I can take to try and get better at Dynasty in general. Um, and then every other show would be one of these shorter episodes, honestly. All of them try to be 30 minutes long. But the ones I'm doing by myself now are much shorter because to create uh, 30 minutes of pre-written, actual, concise narrative turns out to be hard work. Um, and so they end up being 20 or 16 minutes in some cases. But as long as I'm happy with it, it's as close as I can get to doing a version of that Adam Hardstead show where it's putting Dynasty in theory. It's putting it in practice, making it... a uh, a journey um, of narration rather than just reading facts and figures and telling you who I like and who I don't like and why. And, and so I wanted to do some version of that. And so every other show uh, and next week is going to be one. I try to do some kind of narrative where I try and take random seemingly aspects of history related to fantasy football history, things we can learn, ways we think about dynasty and lessons we can learn from that. It's still not, I still don't have it. I don't have the elevator pitch version of it down because it's very much a work in progress, but I'm enjoying trying to make something that's a little different. It's not, not a lot of fantasy space about it. The last one, I think I missed the mark talking to some people in my discord. The history I was using was too abstract from the concept of fantasy football. Is there, <laughs> and I, I didn't, I didn't tie the bow well enough by the end, but to me it was, a lot of history is learning or the historical process is learning what you can from what remains. Right. And I'm very comfortable knowing as much as I can and finding value or finding what value I can in the things that I can't know. So the example I was using was um, uh, an archaeological find, which is a track, and there are many of them, but this is the oldest one, of a person walking. Their footprints have been um, uh, preserved through the wonders of, you know, physical nature, I guess. Um yeah. Uh, from little deposits of dolomite, I think it is, in rainwater. And, and so you can track this person for nearly a kilometer, how they walked, and we can learn that they were carrying a child. And it was probably a woman, but it might have been a man based on the size. We know they walked for over a kilometer, at least. Um, and we know they put the child down, which is how we know there was a child, at several points along the way. We can see footprints of a sloth and a mammoth crossing their path. But we don't know if that was before she walked that journey or they came by shortly after. And, and so we can learn a lot, an awful lot about what this woman, perhaps, presumably, maybe was doing um, 10,000 years ago, which is a really interesting time for human history. But we can't know precisely if it was a woman. And we can't know precisely the timing on when the sloth and when the mammoth came along and if she saw them, but we can postulate. We don't know if it was a sad journey or a happy journey or if the journey concluded successfully one way or the other, but we do know she was on one. We know she came back the same way, 
some time, but we don't know exactly how long later. But within the same period, because the ground was still in the same condition to make the same footprints from the same era. So we can put together this remarkably solid picture of what happened, and yet there are some questions that are unanswerable. And I forgot to tie the bow, but to me, and the reason I was using that for that episode was that's looking at next year for fantasy football. I can say an awful lot about what we should reasonably expect to be the truth about the future instead of history and in fantasy football next year. I can't tell you exactly who's going to break out, but I can tell you overall the percentages will lean this way. This type of player is slightly more likely to break out this particular year versus another year. Um, and I'm just comfortable analyzing fantasy football that way through a historical lens, lens instead of a player evaluation lens. Not that I don't do some of that as well. And it's for the same reason. It's To me, it's kind of the same process. You look at what has happened and the things that you can know based on what is left um, from the history of fantasy football. And you try to put together the best picture you can and move forward from there. Look for value, sure. Do player evaluation, absolutely look at new interesting data like the concept even though it doesn't work of vacated targets but uh, but just accept there are some questions that you can't answer about the future in the same way that there are some questions you can't know you can only speculate about the past now the beauty of fantasy football trying to predict the future is you get an answer and the other part of it is sometimes the answer still doesn't resolve any of the issues because <laughs> Because that's the way probability works. Just because it's less likely that Sky Moore absolutely ever does anything for fantasy doesn't mean he won't. And if he does something for fantasy in the future, doesn't mean those things weren't true. And I used to say on the podcast, uh, and I, I guess I still do, that um, I'm very comfortable uh, knowing that reality can disagree with what should have happened. And that's okay too. And that's kind of the same logic. It's like we don't know the future, we just, but we can know more or less about what happens more often or what has happened more often about the past. And you can start to see why these words start to get tangled up. And I, why I think telling a story from the past and trying to piece it together and show how we can learn from things like that works better than me trying to explain this jumble up bunch of words, which at this point probably makes no sense to anyone. <laughs> no, I think, I, I think it does, but it definitely begs a, a very obvious question here what are the things that you can look back on that actually are predictive and what, what are the things that you have found to be completely non-predictive? Almost everything is non-predictive, but also remember first off caveat, I'm, I'm a historian. If I'm anything, not mm -hmm. a statistician, not a smart person, particularly. So my knowledge of stats has come from learning fantasy football. So, you know, check out someone who actually, because there are people with PhDs on this stuff in the space. So don't take my word as gospel. But from what the best I can figure out, most things aren't predictive in the true sense of the word, in that X will mean Y, for example. Um, and most things require context, and we can get that wrong, which is why narratives and stories come up a lot. Um, which is why I think understanding a baseline of what happens most often, what's the most common event to occur when this similar context happens, the mm -hmm. historical process actually has value. But if you want a too long, didn't read version, the version I put out on YouTube of what stats matter in fantasy football, um, volume is predictive. Efficiency means nothing. Essentially, you can ignore if you're going to go strictly. And again, just talking pure predictive power. Efficiency is if anything, a false flag or a false signal. And it doesn't help you at all. It doesn't project up or down 
or including being less efficient when you're older for that matter versus being younger but players who earn volume are more likely to continue to earn volume and that's the one thing we do know is predictive but even then you get some players who suddenly start earning less or don't pay off on the river volume we had a great one this year elijah moore when you look at the trends looks like he should have been good this year and now he hasn't he's in a very unique group of players that didn't follow through on a good rookie performance relative to things that show predictive value in terms of the volume or the points per game that he was earning because that's the other aspect you can look at it's basically volume chase all the volume and chase points per game if you just want a stat and, and the secret fantasy football analysts don't want you to know you can pretty much ignore most things if you just want to simple process and look at points per game as long as they've played a significant number of games that comes into it as well because splits don't count uh doing really well through five games doesn't matter but having a good points per game through a, a full starting year um or a reasonable full starting year i think the threshold matt spencer found on rotovis was like if they play eight games in the nfl then you can start considering points per game well that's my general benchmark and, and comparing it to other players. So points per game gets you most of the way in terms of the predictive power stats have. The reason there are other stats and the reason there's other attempts to ring it out is one, to get better context. So where did that volume come from? Why did that volume turn up? What are they, how are they performing on that volume? All that does matter, but it stops being predictive. It starts being yeah. how you can put together the, the story of what's going to happen in the future, which is where lots of people default to narratives, which don't work. But I do think if we look at it historically, and um, we can start to understand what that context might mean for their future. But again, I don't have the elevator pitch version of these down, which is why I'm putting a lot of work in to try and make 30 or less minute shows to try and talk about elements of it. Yeah. Because at this point, I'm just giving a speech and no one cares. No, no one should care. But Elijah Moore is a good example of how volume is still cannot be predictive. Um, but by and large, it's volume and efficiency doesn't matter or default points per game. So that's <laughs> all right. We kind of get to the meat and potatoes here. We get down. We're really kind of trying, down I'm trying, but it's, it's you... hard for me to break down this complex stuff for your simple mind, John. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying. I, no, I'm actually I mean, on we... a bit of a tear. We had a long conversation before the show. I I'm normally better at short, <laughs> short, simple sentences. I try and do a little bit better. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, totally expected this part of it. Uh, I knew you were going to have a lot to say. Um, and man, I haven't really even invited you to just put all the cards on the table yet. Uh, that's, it, it, right. that's what I'm going to do right now. But you know, like when you, when you bring up points per game, I think, you know, okay. that I am not a fan of points per game. I talk about that pretty frequently. Uh, averages are, to me, very misused. And uh, yes. so... Well, that, sorry, carry on. I, I'll, I'll go on again after you finish. Okay. <laughs> Say no, the stuff that's wrong and I'll correct it. That's the way we'll go forward. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Tell me why I'm wrong. So, But yeah, that, you know, that kind of brings us to our first crossroads, as it were, uh, is, is on points per game. So, all right. So tell me why I'm wrong. I don't think you are. Um, I don't like points per game either. Certainly as a holistic, this guy is good. Mainly because it's most... 
everyone's playing the same game. They're trying to find the guy who played better than everyone else thinks. But the simple fact is, and it's something the Dynasty Dummies have been talking about for an age, is there is no one who doesn't know what you know at this point. The people in your leagues are probably as engaged as you. And if they're not, then there's someone in other leagues, certainly part of ADP, that knows it. Okay? Like, there's no secrets anymore. And the information is too common. And I think that's a good point. So mostly when people invoke points per game, they're talking about a split. That's why I included the game threshold. It's like Brandon Ayuk when Debo Samuel wasn't on the field and George Kittle uh, had an injury to his left pinky, but not his right pinky was phenomenal. <laughs> and that means that this year he's going to go off. It's trying to see more than we can know, frankly. And Brandon Ayuk did phenomenally well. But I think in context, and this is one I got right, he did well when Debo wasn't there because Debo was the engine of the offense and he kind of stepped into Debo's role and not everyone can do that because targets are not replaceable that way traditionally, which is why we know it's pretty good. But when Debo's available, Debo, especially in that, that form of the offense was kind of the guy and it's Kittle as well. And um, which is why we saw a large disappointment from Brandon Oak, even though again, he played very, very well that year, but we were drafting him in the fourth round of dynasty and small little idiots like me saying that's not that's that's uh, that's a little too strong, and we're drowned out by everyone trying to guess the unlikely thing when uh, they don't really have a we don't really often put out a strong uh, perspective on what is likely. You can't really understand what the unlikely thing to happen that's going to happen is if you don't have a firm grasp of what is more than more likely than not and how well they fit into that narrative if you know what i mean which you, that didn't make sense so we probably don't no i i <laughs> <laughs> i think it does make but sense. but no uh, to answer your actual question points per game is fine but you have to have played enough games where you're not going to find a lot of those secrets you're not going to find that brendan oak is secretly much better than he's a top 12 wide receiver and no one knows if it's telling you something extraordinary, then you're probably looking, to use Adam Harstead's uh, phrase again, to steal more of his work, it's a sample, everything interesting is sample bias. Like if you, if it's extraordinary, if no, almost no one else is treating it that way, then you're almost guaranteed to be looking at a sample that's too small, creating it. And, and that's also kind of why efficiency doesn't work. Most of the players who do good yards per route run are the sleepers for next year. Look at uh, McCall Hardman. <laughs> through his first few years and what he was doing in those splits or Gabe Davis drawing down the stretch in the playoffs, you're looking at too small a sample, which you can find a lot of extraordinarily efficiency through one game or a series of games. But one, it doesn't necessarily predict more volume, actually career arts and career trends do that better. And two, you're most likely going to be betting on something that the reason no one else is valuing it is because it's not true. That's not, that's not the reality of the situation. So points per game does suck if used inappropriately, like anything else. Like dynasty trade questions, like I started off, like the answer could be yes or no in either case. The points per game is often misused, but it's a very good stat. If you're looking for something that's predictive and you're looking at a player that played a full complement of snaps or wasn't injured a lot and played over eight games and so on and so forth, then points per game is a really good measure of how what they are likely to do in the following season. But the problem is ADP by itself probably has that you probably already know that you play fantasy football. You know how well Justin Jefferson did last year. His points per game isn't going to tell you he's extraordinary. You already know it. Yeah. Is there, is there something better that we could be doing? Like yes. this is, this is something that I struggle with all the time because we, we also know that total 
total scoring for the season is so, I mean, particularly... if you want to just default to total, that's fine too, because you're doing you're trying to do a similar job. You're trying to remove the small sample by just looking at total. Technically, yeah. technically, if I can well actually you and push my glasses up, the reason points per game nerds will argue for it is because it does test better if you're looking at an R squared test or whatever from season to season over the long haul. Points per game, especially when you remove those smaller sample players, is going to be slightly more accurate at predicting the points per game of the following season than total points will predict total points the following season. And that's also just partly because, you know, total points is going to change more wildly depending on the offense or what, how much production there is in that year. We're just coming off a really heavy wide receiver season, so wide receiver points are a little higher than they usually are, so total points is going to be naturally higher. And so if you're comparing total points for players this year players last year or the year before that's gonna suck a little bit um because you're comparing a particularly high year to average years or normal years or low years and so that's another reason points per game adjustments can test a little higher but we're talking about margins here especially when taking into a reasonable sample of players again just all that means is players who actually played a full season or reasonably large portion of the season Mm -hmm. then um the differences in our squared testing is, is is marginal. It does win, and so why not use it appropriately? But it's not like total points is going to mislead you. Like the, the wide receiver 24 is actually the wide receiver 12 or anything. It's, it's reasonably similar. It's mostly just remove the small sample players. And the frustrating part about that is you just end up removing a lot of good players who did really well for small stretches. Like... Gabe Davis, he literally won weeks by himself. You could have just started Gabe Davis last year and won a week. Like, oh, uh, whoops. Sorry, buddy. Um, (laughs) And that goes again to the, you know, I I can be right and wrong. I feel like I was a little wrong on Gabe Davis, even though I was one of a very small voice and a very big crowd saying the opposite thing. But, like, I didn't see him finishing inside the top 36 even. Like, I thought that was his upside in terms of total points or points per game. And I was right, technically, when you look back at the season. But at the same time, if you went in on Gabe Davis, he won you weeks. And that matters in fantasy. It's not like you didn't isolate a good player on a good team that could do good things and score three touchdowns. So, yeah, you can be right and wrong at the same time. And as long as you can allow two things to exist at the same time, then I think we're doing a better job. But you are beginning to ask me, what are we meant to do? And and everyone has a different process, right? Um most people are trying to out-evaluate each other, though. And I do, and I could have tried for years, and I think I did pretty good. I think I've got a lot of people that are trying to out-evaluate everyone in terms of whether Brandon Ayuk is better than Debo Samuel. But I'm not the best by any means. And I think most great creators or fantasy analysts at this point are Ryan McDowell. There's someone saying, hey, look, take advantage of an edge that doesn't exist. How about age? Now, age has, at this point, become overvalued, in my opinion, but it was a great way to try and take advantage of something that wasn't a player evaluation because everyone and their mother's trying to do that. And someone's going to be better than you than you at it eventually, and even if it's just good that year or consistently better on it or whatever. So instead, try and take advantage of something else. You've got Scott Connor out there saying, just think about wins, man. Running backs are all about winning weeks. And it's a there are incredible viable ways to play fantasy that are very different from mine. That's what I'm laying out here. But the the ones doing really good work are trying to take advantage of, the, of something that isn't, I'm smarter than you, I will know if this player is better than you. It's trying to find an edge that isn't assuming you're the smartest person in the room because, 
you know, hardly anyone can be that in any room, let alone most rooms, let alone the fantasy space, which again has PhDs in it at this point. And personally, my little way of trying to find an edge against good players in my leagues and trying to help anyone who will listen to me find edges in theirs relative to their own league is, again, it's a history process. I don't have a great um, NFL background. Like, I'm English. I I, I didn't know what football was till 2014. Like, give me a break. I don't know who who (laughs) Damien Tomlinson. He never scored me points. Get him out of here. I don't don't know that guy. Um, And so what I've spent a lot of my early years playing fantasy do is trying to catch up what happens more often why does everyone hate rookies in their their first season for example when you're playing redraft which is true rookies don't often do a lot but because i came in new i found small things and i started in 2014 and went a slightly different way as you you might imagine since i became obsessed i probably did pretty well and and it was because i went in on rookies on the year it was good to go in on rookies but the reasons for it are still kind of true. Like, yeah, rookies do bad, but they do great during the last stretch of per game. Like, they're the only group of players to score a higher points per game of the end of the season versus the start of the season. And that's when you need the most boost to your roster. And now, of course, you've got a lot of strategy in that. You don't necessarily want to hold, especially in redraft, a bunch of rookies on your roster for the whole, because you've only got so many bench spots. But there were ways to try and keep track of them and make sure you get them for the end of the season. And that paid off a lot for someone like Odell Beckham or even Mike Evans. And David Johnson was a great one in his year as well. And so, like, that's kind of how I try and find an edge. Yes, these things are true, but when is it true and when is it not true most often? Literally just playing what actually happens most often instead of trying to be smarter than everyone else. There's actually just elements to this game that everyone thinks they know. Like, rookies do badly. Yeah, apart from the fact they don't. We get a lot of good rookie performances every year, but they don't necessarily measure in terms of total points or points per game or even finish. Like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson last year, neither of them finished inside the top 12. And so when you're looking back on it and thinking rookies don't do well, that confirms that prior. Apart from the fact they easily improved your roster that year, especially in Dynasty, and based on their rookie performance. And then when you go back on it and look at it a bit closer, you find that players who do well are more likely to do even better, especially if you're defining well in terms of earning volume. So Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are two top 12 Dynasty assets right now because of that, because they earn enough volume to compare well to players that mostly go on to continue to do well. Um, and so instead of, you know, gaming whether uh, Jahan Dotson or George Pickens is actually the secret best wide receiver, because not all the best wide receivers do the best in their rookie season, that's true. But you also don't have to dismiss the fact that there's value in knowing that Alave and Wilson are very likely to be guys who are valuable in fantasy, even if they're not Hopkins or Adams, who were two great examples, Chris Godwin being another one who struggled in his rookie year. Like, because we don't know everything or just accepting you don't know anything means there's some value in overvaluing, perhaps, the things that we do know are more likely to happen. Uh, Anyway, that's the way I think of it. Instead of trying to beat people with player evaluation, just pay attention to the few things that they probably know, but undervalue that happen most often or more often. Like uh, Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins, their rookie year, one of the worst draft classes measured in some ways. Like Hopkins had a pretty good rookie year based on points per game, his ADP shows it, but so did Keenan Allen, but because of his draft capital, who is lower value. If you know that it doesn't matter near as much if you do pretty well in your rookie year, then you got Keenan Allen for like, what, the last 50 years for almost free? 
that's been pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of those things that you and I agree on the process. And in fact, if I'm being honest, I kind of stole this from you, but we come to a different conclusion. Like st- we, <laughs> I probably stole it from someone else to be fair. So it's fine. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's the way this game works. Like we we all just kind of pass yeah. stuff around. It's literally the idea. It's fine. Just take it. Yeah. Take yours. Yours is free. Yeah. Take an idea. Yeah. If it doesn't work for you, throw it away. It's fine. <laughs> and that's the beauty of this. Like, like I said, we 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 come to a slightly different conclusion, or, or even more than that, we kind of use it differently, right? But the you know the notion that a wide receiver, you know. <laughs> breaks out whatever that looks like for that individual receiver and kind of the, the, the area that they land in, whether it's production value, ADP, whatever you want to call it. They, and they, they just kind of stick there, right. For the most part, like there's a little there, bit of movement, but. Sorry, I got like a million no. things to say all of a sudden, but breakouts are a really it. good one. Um, let me do yeah. some examples here. ADP is remarkably good at predicting who we should value. That's, again, paying attention to the average. There aren't many edges. ADP rises on players who are more likely, like, uh, let's see, what is it? Something like 80% of players who fell in value from their rookie offseason to their sophomore offseason, so between August and August, failed to go on to do anything in fantasy football. And the lone exception is basically Tyler Boyd, because for some reason, after doing really well in his rookie season and getting over 600 yards, we dropped him 10 rounds. Like we just hated Tyler (laughs) Boyd that year. And it was a great year for me because I just bought lots of Tyler Boyd. But um, like that's the one exception. ADP is remarkably sharp at who's likely to do badly. Like we know we got it. We got this down. Um, But it does that partly by elevating way too many into higher ADPs the following year. To follow on from that, we also make some mistakes. Like last year, again, just speak to actual examples. I got right, and I got like videos and receipts and stuff. Not that I care about that too much. I enjoy the process more than the receipt stuff. But like I want to know if I do well, so I kind of track it. But CD Lamb, there's some really good persuasive data arguments and film arguments last year about CD Lamb being disappointing to that point in his career. And that was true if you were comparing him to Alave or Wilson or someone else. But when you look at what he was doing relative to his situation, like third year breakouts average and the distribution is really tight, his target share. And now third year top 12 breakouts are actually rarer than second year top 12 breakouts. That's again, a thing most people know at this point. You're not going to find an edge by having a hit rate table like I do to say that second year breakouts are where top 12s happen. Like people, folks know that the third year breakout myth is kind of a myth. But third year breakouts are still the second most common at wide receiver. And the reason that they've been emphasized is because they're often undervalued. And so a lot of fantasy analysts in the past have found value in saying, hey, pay attention to that third year breakout. So what? how do we join the dots? Well, the dot that was missing is that the third year breakouts are still doing pretty well relative to their situations. They average around 17% target share. They don't average 20% target share, which is what people didn't like about CD Lamb because it doesn't compare well to most breakouts which is true. Mm-hmm. But compared to the players who actually take an extra year to break into the top 12, CD Lamb was exactly on the money. He looked exactly like the picturesque. That's exactly what happens nine times out of 10 in history. A third year breakout did really well, has decent points per game, was drafted highly more often than not. 
and had a 17% target share and averaged about 17% target share through his first few two years. So the fact he didn't have 20% target share was actually a positive. Because if you're getting 20% target share but still haven't broken out into the top 12, you're more DJ more. You're probably showing what your ceiling is, at least relative to the current team situation. Because, you know, reality does bite sometimes. Like DJ Moore could be better than that. But just based on what has happened, because he was averaging higher target shares, that meant we've probably seen his ceiling. Whereas CD Lamb, who had shown a lower target share to that point, literally, like, I know very few things that actually provide me some edge. And that was a big one last year. I was like, that's literally what happens. Like nine times out of 10, the third year top 12 breakout is CD Lamb. Like that's what they do. And it stuck to me because like I've invented this. I think I've invented this historical perspective on it or looking at it exactly this way. And I don't know if I'm bad at explaining it or what, but um, like I, it's incredibly striking how expected CD Lamb should have been last year. Like it's like it hardly never doesn't happen for someone with CD Lamb's context. And it happened. He broke out into the top 12 last year. Now, was it the most spectacular top 12 breakout? No, because again, reality does bite. You can get everything right and still get it wrong. But his value didn't care. He's like a top five dynasty asset at this point. He's top definitely a top five dynasty wide receiver at this point. And I'm actually finding myself saying I like him less than some people who ask me questions on him now because third-year breakouts aren't as good as second-year breakouts for the long haul. And so I like Amon Ra St. Brown a little bit more because at the same value tier, I, I like them relatively almost the same, but people think that C.D. Lamb's draft capital still matters a little bit more, and they're starting to player-evaluate and team situation game. And I just fade away from all of that, and I'm more interested in what players like that do over the long term, most often through NFL history. And it's, yeah, C.D. Lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown should be relatively even in terms of the value provided to fantasy over the next few years. But so just by stepping away from I know more than you about how good they are or I can read this team situation, I value them similarly. So if you'll give me something on Amon Ra to get C.D. Lamb, I'm happy to do that. And again, if again, I could be wrong. Uh, I'm wrong very often. But instead of thinking I'm smarter or no more, Touching I'm just looking at what happens more. Here. <laughs> I'm just looking at what happens most often. And so if I'm wrong, I'm like, well, I, I mean, that's normally what happens in those situations. Like I didn't, I, I feel pretty comfortable being wrong in that instead of trying to guess the unlikely and then being, oh, I can't believe that thing that almost never <laughs> happens didn't happen. That feels worse to me. <laughs> Who are some examples of it, it almost never happens. It's not likely to happen now that, like, is okay. there anybody? I, I'm that... not. I'm just diving into 2023, so I have some takeaways, but I don't have my full breakdown of it yet. But I can again default to last year if it helps. Like I okay. highlighted three breakout narratives last year that were shown in ADP. They weren't fictional and just on Twitter or just on hype that you've seen. Because I have a very small bubble, almost no one knows me, and I don't know anyone. But I, I heard a lot about it on Twitter, and I went and checked out ADP and Fantasy Pros, looking at redraft, and it was true. People expected. And um, Rashad Bateman, Gabriel Davis, and who was the other one I had? There were three strong breakout narratives that people were valuing in Dynasty and in Redraft that were they we thought they were going to happen. And based on those trends, and I love Rashad Bateman as a rookie until everyone started overdrafting him. And I showed how actually based on the team volume and his situation and how well it did his rookie year, he was very unlikely to break out into the top 36, maybe, not the top 24 
definitely not the top 12 where the hype eventually got. And all three of those, Gabe Davis, Rashad Bateman, and whoever the damn third one was, I forget <laughs> who it was. I'd have to go back and look. But that didn't happen as well. I, again, um, 2023, I'm not fully up to date. I don't actually know where the breakouts predicted are. Um, but Rashad Bateman, I can carry him through. I've been accurately predicting Rashad Bateman in value and results since his rookie year, because I liked him as a rookie prospect, but I didn't see an immediate top 12 likely wide receiver from him from his college profile. I thought he was really good. Um, but people immediately got higher on me him than me, and so I ended up not ultimately getting a lot. And so I game-planned it out. If history more often than not repeats from here on, what's going to happen? And I said it on the Dynasty Grind, and so far I've hit every bullet point. We'll see at what point history just smacks me in the face and tells me not this time, Bucko. But so far, I'm right. I expected them to be disappointed in their rookie season and his value to drop a little. But then his value to rise as the season began, which did happen. And then ultimately last year, they'll be very disappointed with the overall performance. I didn't predict an injury. I just honestly thought. And through the first few games, he was doing really well, by the way, on a per-game basis. But it was highly efficient and I was writing a weekly series and I pointed out that if this volume and performance keeps up, he's basically a historical outlier. So he's more likely to come back into line with his volume, which would mean he finishes somewhere inside the top 36, having done very well because he's a good player, but his volume isn't there. The team volume isn't there. And unfortunately he got injured, so we didn't see that play out. And then, and I predict this like literally after his rookie draft, his value would drop exponentially because of a disappointment and that's when I'd finally be able to buy some Rashad Bateman. And so far, I've bought like three shares of him. So he might still foul out. Again, players who do better are more likely to do better moving forward. So ADP is not wrong to fall on him a little bit because he has been disappointing. But mm -hmm. I think he's been disappointing because our expectations have been too high based on what he should have been doing, based on historical averages of volumes in those situations with that draft capital. And those college profiles. So if he does well this year, and I'm not expecting a top 12 season, which but that would be nice. But I do think he can drastically outperform his current ADP, which is in the like wide receiver 30s. Um, and I will have hit every bullet point from like two years out. And that will have been my most accurate prediction that far out. Um, and again, I don't have, and I want to point this out, I don't have a prediction like that for every player. Very rare. It's like with the CD Lamb thing. The reason I'm so excited about it or get so hyped about it is because I can say relatively few things that strongly. It's mm -hmm. like with the historical example I was just talking about. I can't even say if it was a man or a woman, or if the, the sloth or the mammoth came before or after her. But I can definitely get on a hill to saying there was definitely a sloth and a mammoth alive at the same time. And that's essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> and, <laughs> and a person. So that's is... definitely a person there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a person. Uh, gender fluid though. So, uh, okay. So uh, first of all, like uh, this sounds a little bit like Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney, like those guys, those Kadarius, Tony, those could all be guys that also fit in this a little bit, but there's okay. Yeah, okay even... We've done the background. I did all the heavy lifting. We can talk about the rookies. It's fine. Yeah. Sophomore rookies <laughs> this year. There are I don't some care. Trends, if... um... I don't care about the rookies. I'm, I'm looking more. There's, there's some sophomores. And so, you know, especially sophomores if we... are interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah. even if we just keep it to Rashad Bateman and Gabe Davis, eh, man, maybe Michael Pittman kind of fits in that conversation to us to a 
like a, a, he he broke out a little bit more, but it he might depend on. Who, yeah, carry on. Sorry, I, I, you you do some talking. It's your damn podcast. You do some talking. <laughs> That's true. It is. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't you forget it. No, uh, but even if we're just even you know just focus on Rashad Bateman and Gabe Davis, and you know the the, the like you said, it ended up being a disappointing outcome. There's very very different context there for each individual player right like one of them stayed healthy one of them had the best one of the best quarterbacks in the league um you know he was also he also had a a very good you know target hog type of guy opposite of him but Mm -hmm. you know like the context is a lot more damning for Gabe Davis than it should be for Rashad Bateman who dealt with a lot of injuries himself and then had his quarterback who's supposedly a good passer but isn't really uh missed some time oh, with injury as well <laughs> i had to sideswipe lamar jackson uh, in your presence i had to do it but so there's a but there's there's some very different context there and i wonder how much of that gets weighted into it when you're doing an evaluation like this uh yeah I, I wish my process was a little less uh wordy sometimes um but it's real simple i, ju- I just make it sound complicated and <laughs> let's look at the sophomores this year because that's i mean okay. if you haven't been playing dynasty for more than two days and you don't know but outside of that we know sophomores are one of the most interesting things in dynasty because that's when the most volume increases happen that's when the most breakouts happen across all positions Except running back running backs do a lot more in their rookie season that's why we love them in rookie drafts and so on and so forth so sophomores are fascinating it's where we spend a lot of our time and chase claypool is an interesting name because he and a few others go against the trend right did well in the rookie season whether you're looking at overall finish overall volume overall performance there are a lot of things that said that chase claypool should be good on that list of players that did badly, quote unquote, not that they're not good NFL players. I mean, he actually probably did pretty well when he transferred over to the Bears relatively. Um, but for fantasy, he was disappointing following that period so far. Um, he and a few others, a majority of others on that list who go on to do badly after doing well, had high touchdown production. It's not a complicated mm. aspect of it. When we know to look for players who are overperforming in touchdowns, they're not sticky, so on and so forth. So I think it's pretty significant that those disappointing good rookie seasons, a lot of them are due to touchdowns. Like they scored, quote unquote, too many touchdowns based on the volume and the usage they were getting. That probably means they have a skill, to be fair. Touchdowns are a skill. Chase Claypool is pretty good at something. That's why he has a spot in the NFL roster. It's why he got drafted. It's why he was accepted on another team in a trade. Like I'm not trying to throw shade at players because they're all better at something (laughs) than I'll ever be at anything. To be clear, and we're just talking about fantasy, not actual football. If you're a fan of Chase Claypool, <laughs> um, like me too, I, I'm a, I'm a player fan. So yeah. taking small lessons, and they're very small, and we're talking about very small sample sizes like that, because they can easily be wrong when we're trying to make a historical process. It's just simply not enough. Even a statistics process is not enough. But the rookie, the sophomore this year that stands out to me, the guy who did it mostly through touchdowns, even though he had a phenomenal rookie season by most other measures is Christian Watson. He scored too many touchdowns. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's a red flag. on the. And there were so many positive scoring rookies last year that you're going to have to make some decisions. Even in good years, we t- typically don't see more than three wide receivers continue to add significant fantasy volume over time throughout the next few years or throughout like five or ten years or to be 
you know, the breakouts from that class, the AJ Greens, uh, the Julio Joneses. We don't get that many every year, although we do get two or three every year. Um, again, to my earlier point, rookie classes usually produce something. Um, so you're going to have to make some tough decisions. And to me, that red flag, even though it's not a death now, and even though it probably means he's got a very significant skill set, means that I think uh, Christian Watson is a little less comparable to those who go on to do well. Even though he doesn't compare directly to Chase Claypool, but he does have similar volume, a similar positive rookie season, measured most ways, and scored most of his points or too much of his points through touchdowns. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are just grandfathered in. There's, they may not happen because reality likes to disagree <laughs> with <laughs> obvious takes, obviously. But I don't think anyone's I don't think that it's I don't think it's a hot take to say they should continue to be fantasy viable for the next few years. <laughs> like <laughs> everyone loves them, so we're good, right? Right. Um and those are the ones that are grandfathered in. The next step, even though that was too wordy, is I look at where are I think production patterns have something to do with aging patterns in the NFL, not age itself, but the availability of jobs and the availability of targets and offensive production in general. Um, and over the last three years, we've had nothing but success. Now we might be entering a new era. Maybe this is a new era for wide receiver success, but the breakouts, the overall production and the relative repeat rates of wide receivers who do well in the rookie season and continue to do well have been way above average over the last three years. Last year, it regressed a little bit, Elijah Moore being a key example of that. But it's still, we still shouldn't expect a large, uh, above average year in terms of repeats or breakouts um, following the 2022 season. Now, again, from there on, I'm just making assumptions and spec, like history doesn't tell me who. But totally. knowing that, knowing the sloth was there, I'm going to make a guess about whether he came before or after the woman. And for me, that means outside of Wilson, outside of Alave, I'm pretty much selling 2022. Now, Jahan hmm. Dotson's ADP is significantly too low. So I, I don't mind playing value either. Like, there's a, like, again, one of the ways you can find edge in Dynasty is just focusing on value and only value. And Jahan Dutson's value is pretty decent. And if you get a good trade on George Pickens, I do not hate it. He had a good rookie season. But because lately we've had a lot of wide receiver success, especially early on in players' careers, I expect a little bit less over the next few years, which means I'm not going above ADP or above where most people are on London, even though he did great, and Pickens, even though he looked phenomenal with that one hand catch, or Watson, even though, again, very skilled player who did great his rookie season. Mm -hmm. I'm not evaluating the ability. I'm just saying right now, like more often than not, we'd see less success historically. Again, we might just yeah. be entering a new era and it's wide receivers from here on out. But I don't, I, I tend to not believe that. Like everyone's got to, oh, we're in a new era. It's a new trend. It's going to be purely Todd Gurley from now on. And, you know, more often than not, it's not a, an entirely new era. So it, it, it like it feels like there's a pretty concrete process in terms of the guys. There is. Where... If I can dig out all the crap around it, I think it would make a lot of sense to people. I'm working on it, John. No, I think it. <laughs> I, I think it does. I think it does. But you know, kind of back to back to Rashad Bateman, there was ex extraordinary context there, and I think yeah. that that's where people kind of struggle. Like, what? I what's, think Rondell Moore is another good example of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
maybe. I hope. Uh, I, Again, I'm, I'm you're not of... expecting AJ Green out of Rondell Moore, but um, <laughs> right. if we're looking for, right. I think if you're looking for breakouts this year, it's slightly less likely breakout players a little further in their career, um, who are maybe the Michael Pittman path because he's mm-hmm. one of the exceptions who did badly in his rookie season relative to most measures, and then finally did something. That's also a relatively rare group, just like the ones who did well and then went on to do badly. On that list, the things that stand out are Michael Pittman struggled with injuries in his rookie season, uh, as did Traylon Burks this year. He he missed a lot of time. I know uh, Christian That's, Watson did as well, yeah. but again, we can get into that whole... We, the, there's a whole rabbit hole of debate I've had on Christian Watson <laughs> this <laughs> offseason. I don't care um, about Christian Watson. It involves <laughs> snaps and snap percentages, and I normally don't like to do splits, as I say, but I've engaged in the idea to try and test it out through time. Um, to, to see because I don't like if Christian Watson's a major buy, I don't want to miss it. Like, I don't, I think sometimes because sure. we get so, um, you know, I mean, sometimes your I... team on Twitter, you just want Christian Watson to be bad so that you're right. I don't, <laughs> if he's gonna be good, I want to be in. <laughs> so, like, I really? want to entertain the idea, and I've t- I've tried to prove and disprove my own ideas and prove other people's ideas. And I'm still kind of on the same page so far. So I mean, sometimes aren't you just okay being like you're you're willing to be wrong? Just like, all right, if I'm very miss on this, uh, if you're not willing to be wrong, don't play fantasy, man. You got to take it off. <laughs> I mean, it, like meaning like I'm I'm not going to be in on this player, and I've got a I've got a pretty big list of <laughs> of yeah that yeah player. But like our if, hate like, list should be if bigger I get than this... our love list. Put it that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, kind of what I'm what I'm driving at with all of this is the guys that are really hard to to kind of figure out because again there was some extraordinary context there. You you mentioned Traylon Burks. The other one is is Jamison Williams. You know, there's there there's a lot of signal that that could you know the the Jamison Williams is a bust. But how much of that do we have to consider? Just the fact that. He missed most of his rookie season, you know, with an ACL yeah. injury. Like it, 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 you know, people, people are kind of getting to this point in the draft where it's like Jamison Williams looks really tempting, but you know, if you, if you remove that context and just no, say I mean, he caught one pass <laughs> as a rookie, yeah, it just happened to be, I don't think we've seen uh, enough in the NFL yet to judge. <laughs> um, but that's the Michael Pittman list, you know. There are some players who don't do a lot in the rookie season because of injury or because Devontae Adams had Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson combining for about a billion targets and a million yards. I think those are the exact numbers. You can check <laughs> me on that. Like but like, and to be fair, CeeDee Lamb had uh, Amari Cooper. Actually, one of the ways I've uh, I've come to know when not to engage and engage in some of the arguments, I, not arguments, talk, well, they're arguments, that I like to have on Twitter. There's a lot about routes right now because that's one of the new fancy stats that everyone loves. But um, targets per route run actually seems to have significant context to add in congested situations. But it's route stats are like split stats. They're very they're telling you about the context of the situation. But most people mm-hmm. arguing about um, you know uh, delayed breakouts or vacated targets was never bring up yards per route run together at the same time. When I actually think if there is a connection or a way forward with vacated targets, it's it's targets per route run, but almost no one mentions it. Because actually no one's going and looking at the history. They just like to say what makes sense. And that's fine. You can play fantasy that way, but I don't have a way of 
discussing back and forth the fictional example that you're talking about maybe happening when I'm right. actually talking about things that most that have happened. There's a reason yeah. I'm talking about actual examples and you're hyper, you're, they're, they're presenting hypotheticals of what might be possible. Yeah, but let's look at what actually has been possible first, or at least have an understanding of it. But um, um, C.D. Lamb um, also had Amari Cooper, uh, high targets per out run, lower target share than you'd expect, and a delayed third-year breakout. That happened with Devontae Adams as well, and you could argue that's part of what caused Chris Godwin's. So anyway, uh, too long, didn't read. Um, if you're looking for those examples, you're looking for players that miss time, obviously, like Michael Pittman, mm -hmm. like, Jah uh, like Jameson Will Williams, like you said, but you're also looking for congested situations when they were playing. The problem with Jameson Williams, we literally just have nothing. We have a college profile, which is okay, but what you should know is you should just default to what you thought of him as a rookie because really we have no NFL context for him. Like, this, It could be true that teams get more tired waiting. Like He was injured last year. That sucks, and so they're less likely to give him the volume, the, uh, the opportunity to get the volume he would have if he wasn't injured, right? Because draft capital is about opportunity. If a team invests draft capital in you, they want you to get opportunity. You're going to get that opportunity or everything they can do to give you that opportunity um, if they drafted you highly, which is yeah, it's a Terrence Marshall signal. They gave him all opportunities to have, to have volume early in his career. It didn't pay off, and it quickly faded away. There is a time limit. So yeah. it, it could be Jamison Williams goes that route. Like he's more disappointing because the team's like, oh, we're, we're done with this. Too long, didn't really. Got a whole new draft class. Um, you know, you know, uh, Terry McClellan and Dotson, fantastic. What, so why would I wait for anyone else? I don't know why I mentioned those guys. Um, but we won't know that. I'm not going to, again, I'm not the smartest person in most rooms. So I'm definitely not going to guess if I'm, the, I'm as smart as a person in a room I will never be in, which is an NFL coaching group. So what you have to do is default to the college, pro whatever you thought of him. He's basically a rookie this year. But then I bring in that second part, which is what's going on right now. I expect less success for more young players. He is a bit of an unusual young player in that he basically doesn't have a year one. But I don't think I would go above eight. Like, I'm not desperately seeking Jamison Williams because, I mean, there's only so many spots ultimately. And we have so many good wide receivers. Like, why would I be paying very limited dynasty value? I'm, I, I know every podcast I listen to, the number of players I'm meant to target seems to be like, I, I've got a billion first round picks and I can buy anyone I want. Like, I only have so much I can do with each roster. Mm -hmm. guessing that that young player who missed his season, his rookie season is going to be that young breakout in a year where young breakouts are less likely, typical breakouts are less likely. And that's kind of not for me, but you know, I, I can't argue against it. I've got, he has no rookie stats. He had a strong college profile. Yeah. So in, so kind of the last name that I'm going to get to here in, in just a second, but uh, you know, just, just to kind of provide some context, to uh, you know as we as we work towards this name here um but so J you know jameson williams on one hand there there is a little bit of uh of production for us to look at and you could you could look at it positively you can look at it negatively he caught he sure only did. caught one pass but it was for a long touchdown, and that's kind of what they needed. <laughs> like that's the, what and, they were looking for. And to and be fair, it, that backs up the college stuff. Like he was good in college, right. he was good in his one pass. I mean, there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and then you know, as far as the injury goes, they knew that when they drafted him. 
they knew what they were getting. That, that's like, a good point. You know, so they're probably the, not like going to give up. Yeah. That's yeah, like he took him in the first round knowing that the ACL had just been shredded. So the the other name that I want to bring up, on one hand, we don't have any type of professional resume at this point. No. Um, and missed the entire season with a, you know, quote unquote injury, just a, a health problem, essentially. Uh, but it's not one that, that the Houston Texans expected. And so people are having a really hard time trying to figure out what to do with John Mechie, especially when you consider the fact that they just invested very heavily in a rookie quarterback who's a very effective pocket passer. He's going to throw the ball around a lot. And there's not a whole lot of competition uh, in terms of, of, you know, target volume in that offense. It's I'm, maybe it's Careful, Nico John. Collins. Careful, what? waiting towards a vacated targets argument. I'm just warning you. Like, <laughs> it, it, we're an it, hour and a half in. You don't want to. You don't want to. Mm. Does this <laughs> count as? Does this count as vacated targets? Is this how you want to spend the like, rest of your life? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it is. He said with a wild look in his eye. <laughs> Giddy up. Hold my beer. Well, but like, I, does. Does this actually count as vacated targets? I mean, no, this is just like it, a very... it reminds me of it. It says no target competition, therefore this guy will get 20% target share. No, I mean, if he's no good, he won't get 20% target share. I don't care if he right. is the only wide receiver on the team. I don't care if he's the only person <laughs> with two legs on the team. If he is not good enough to get 20% target share, he will not do so. Okay. They'll that's roll fair. the ball. They'll yeah. roll the ball to more running backs. That's like, and that's the only way it relates to vacated. I wasn't... John right. Michio wasn't very high on his college profile. I definitely could be wrong. College profiles have the highest variance of anything going. Um, and I'm rooting for him, to be clear. I'm always actually rooting for players, except for a, a few marginal ones. And yeah. because I want, like, seeing young people just succeed in their dreams. Like, if, if they do well, literally their families have no problems for the rest of the I'm rooting for it. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact of me being a cold robot computer who doesn't like anyone, don't get me wrong. I want these kids to have their dreams come true. And, and we're just you spend fantasy a football, which matters so little relative to everything else that I just mentioned. But You spend um, way too much time humanizing these players, by the way. Nobody I else does. To. Like, I don't watch, so I don't get the dehumanization of those masks <laughs> and numbers. So to me, they're actual people, John. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're such a softy. Like to me, they're just kind of character sprites in a video game. Like, so it makes it really easy for me to talk about how much I hate Derek Carr and Lamar. I Jackson. always knew you were <laughs> a dehumanizing evil genius. That's that's why I hate you. That's yeah. I mean, I do it to you all the time. <laughs> well, doing it to me or you—that's fine. Fantasy trade is a fair game. Analyst. He's that's not fair. a. He's not a guy with a job and a family and stuff. He's just a he's no. just a number numbers butt over there. He's just that on idiot who I'm gonna own online. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so but the point being with the Houston Texans is it's it's not that some one of those three guys is at least likely right to earn a twenty percent target share. Like no. It, no teams can have years where they don't have players with 20% of the targets. Yeah. Oh, okay. They can also have years where players have 20% of targets and you've got nothing to show for it. 
Um, four or five teams every year produce oh. two top 24 wide receivers, which leaves an awful lot of teams, about half the league, without a top 24 wide receiver. I actually really like Stroud. That's what makes 23 so far awkward for me. I think people are disrespecting his draft capital and what he could do this year, mainly because we're more invested in Bryce Young as the pocket passer from this draft class and the upside of Anthony Richardson. But Stroud's a really good prospect. I don't think the fact that he's not a Lamar Jackson-like runner means he's suddenly not, which seems to be some of the narrative I hear. Like, he's really good. He could do a mm -hmm. lot of great things. Um, I mean, this year we saw, uh, with somewhat competent coaching, we saw um, Trevor Lawrence finally be that good player that we knew he could be with, like, Zay Jones and Christian Kirk. So I'm not going to say he can't do well or they can't do well with him, but I think he's going to be the one that has to drive it because yeah. I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of reason to suspect they can draw targets. Uh, they're going to have to be given, I guess, if we're going to say it a certain way. Um, but the thing is that Christian Kirk was a really good college prospect um, who disappointed significantly. I got him wrong. Maybe I'm just a bit of, bit of bitch uh, which is true i'm definitely that <laughs> but um he did earn significant target share in different situations before that year and zay jones zay jones is someone talk to someone that does projections and ask him about zay jones he's someone that everyone has to hand adjust his efficiency down because he just has these spurts of just doing things that just that's that's not mathematically meant to be true and you got to pull him down or he ends up being like the wide receiver 12 so both have shown some signal of being pretty decent at certain things in the NFL. They weren't nothing, is what I'm saying. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. going to call John Meachie because I have no NFL information about him. Nothing. But um, Or Nico Collins, who actually had a pretty decent year. Um, mm -hmm. Someone told me he was going to expose me last year, by the way. And I only mention it because I'm still waiting to hear if he exposed me or not. Because I said he would get about exactly what he got. And apparently that mm. was too much hate. Like, I don't get so... There are only so many things. I know on podcasts and stuff, we try to point out what we got right and wrong. So it sounds like we spent all of our time talking about what we got right and wrong <laughs> and doing victory laps. And I don't, there are very few things you can get relatively accurately. And so you mention them because you're really proud of them. Like you don't get a lot exactly <laughs> on the button. And hey. so the few that you do get exactly on the button, you like to maybe mention every now and again. And uh, yeah, Nico <laughs> Collins like that. But he still hit the upside of what he thought he could be. He actually had a pretty decent year. Um, relative to his context and what he's done in the NFL and where he was drafted and the fact he was more of a combine profile than a production profile. I was actually pretty impressed. So it's not like Stroud and Houston has nothing, but they have less than Trevor Lawrence had this year. I, I think we can say, well, at least we should expect him to have, Stroud to have less than what Jackson, uh, um, sorry, uh, Trevor Lawrence had going for him this year because he didn't have a lot, but he still had proven producers who had earned significant target volume before, whereas Stroud doesn't have that. And so ultimately, yeah, maybe one of them will hit 20% target share and will do a victory lap. But even if they do, I don't think it's going to be too impressive. If it is, I think it's going to be, I think it's really Trevor Lawrence last year making Christian Kirk a top 12 wide receiver for the first time in his career, one of the very few later breakouts. For, and the only one in, there's only been two in the last three years, playing outside your third career year, breaking into the top 12. That's actually technically more common um, than it's been over the last three years because we've had so many good young wide receiver breakouts. But that's a probably a separate subject. We should probably expect another one of them soon. But anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, to me, when I put it all together, I, I, I'm worried about Stroud, even though I think he's a really undervalued quarterback in this draft class. 
Um, I, I th- it's a more negative situation than Lawrence, even though Stroud is. I don't know if he's a Trevor Lawrence prospect. I don't do much quarterback evaluation as rookies because they're really tough, and I don't like hard things. Sounds like a quote. Um, <laughs> but things that are too difficult, and quarterback is basically too difficult um, to get right more often than you get it wrong. So I mostly avoid it until I know it. But I think Stroud could be in the league of that level of top 12, top 15, at least quarterback. So maybe mm-hmm. he can get something going with them. Um, and and to be fair, Michi and Nico, none of them cost anything in Dynasty. So I don't mind having them on my roster spot. Um, and the only thing I don't like is, again, back to that limited value thing. I only have so many moves I could probably make on most Dynasty rosters, even though I only play in about five leagues. It's not where my focus is, especially since we've seen so many good young breakouts. I think we pretty much know who the good wide receivers are, especially right now. And I think running back and tight end is more of a area where you might find a player who more greatly pays off in lower down the depth charts. We, we're missing. We don't know who the great running backs and wide receivers are right now and tight ends are right now. We do know who the good wide receivers and quarterbacks are right now. So if I'm going to speculate, especially this year, it's going to be on running back and tight end. All of this is just kind of dancing around the fact that you're also in the Tegan Quatoriano fan club with me. That's what I'm hearing. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> At least tell me you know who that is. I don't know who that is, Josh. Shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like I'm the only one who knows this dude. Maybe like, there are people who know more family. than everyone else. I don't know. Like, I thought everyone knew everyone at this point, but no, I, I can't say I know that name. <laughs> um, okay, so like, just to kind of tie all of it together, man, we, we talked way too much about wide way receivers considering, considering like, especially since they're not in the interesting position right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not where yeah, we should exactly. be investing our time. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I don't particularly like them. Like they're just, yeah, it like it is, it, it's, it's a boring position, right? Because there's, I mean, there's just kind of too many of them. I don't know if that's... There's not too many of them. That's fallacy too. But yeah, we know who the ones that you want. Just go get the ones everyone knows who's already good. Those are the good ones right now. You may get a value <laughs> on Godwin or Evans or Cooper Cup because they're old or and people are silly like that. But I mean, wide receiver is pretty much... Uh, well, so, there's going to be surprises because there always are. They're not where we should expect the most surprises this year. So mostly don't overthink <laughs> Sure. Quarterback. That's Look, actually one of the reasons I've been disagreeing with you on this show a lot, because you're waiting for another round of quarterbacks. And I think we've kind of seen a lot of good quarterbacks come out recently. So I'm like, that's not where my head's at. I'm not like, who's a new great quarterback? I think I think the position, not that there won't be other good players, but like I don't I don't know where that's where I invest my time or capital spe- speculating as much as <laughs> we have capital. Like we're stuck. <laughs> this is to stock markets as checkers is to, you know, actually playing a war so it's not, <laughs> it's not nearly that complicated but um like quarterback and wide receiver just aren't where i i think we have be spending a majority of our time overthinking things right now so we'll be surprises but i don't think we can guess a lot of them they're going to be a little less likely a little less uh, a little less knowable uh, perhaps yeah. whereas running whereas running back and tight end uh, just do things for breakouts we know sophomores are awesome we know good production leads to more good production we know injuries can all the things we mentioned are kind of true with them um, 
running back as well and tight end. So that's that's where I think I'm spending most of my time if I'm gonna be looking for quote unquote sleepers. It, it running back and tight end. Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah. Um yeah. what are you looking for at running well, back? To be honest, if you want to get into it. Okay. Running backs right now, it's not 2017, which is the thing we're all waiting for. We're waiting for the next new era, right? I mean, Bajon right. Robinson can't do it all by himself, but he will do a damn fine impersonation of doing it all by himself. Yeah. But the last time the NFL was in a situation where we had this few breakouts, like back-to-back years of below-average breakouts, that kind of thing, it was like 2013. We did see four running back breakouts in the top 12 that year, but two of them were undrafted free agents, Fred Jackson and Danny Woodhead. One of them was a rookie, Eddie Lacy, but any Bijan Robinson, Eddie Lacy comparisons are going to be catching some hands from some people, but I guess you could point (laughs) that they are similar (laughs) in that way. Um, and And then we have DeMarco Murray breaking out in his third year. And I think that was all of them. So I do expect breakouts this year. Um, at running back, but I don't think we're going to get Kamara and CMC and also why not throw out all these other best running backs of the next 10 years. Um, and so I, love, I want Bajon Robinson. I want, I want the known good running backs, so like Aaron Jones I've targeted in a few places. Nick Chubb, like, let's, let's get some more of the best running backs in the NFL going at a discount because finally he's too old for the ADP to keep up anymore. And he's probably still good. And this is a year where good players are going to keep being good. And we'll see a few lower drafted players or later career breakouts, um, like a DeMarco Murray, well drafted, but he's playing in his third career year. And then two undrafted free agents. Uh, I don't know they're going to be undrafted. It's just a point that, you know, we're not expecting all the first rounders to finally pay off. Just like Jason some Dobbins, I've heard a lot of people say that. I don't believe it because I don't believe the Baltimore situation is going to be more friendly to his, his role. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be more passing and he's phenomenal, but he's without having a target share on that offense, it's going to be remarkable difficult to be more than top 24, but at value, I definitely like JK Dobbins. Um, so yeah, I've mostly been targeting vets if I'm targeting running back at all, because the way I play fantasy, I mostly try and get running backs when I know I need them because they're not like to Scott Connor's point, they're not a value. If you're buying, if you're trying to get running backs, thinking you can trade them in the future, you better be drafting a rookie. Like that's the only type of running back I would do that with. Mm-hmm. I mean, in season though, right? Like there's, yeah. And, and you're not, you don't necessarily, you know, like your, your the first goal is weeks, you're going to know pretty quickly like that. Oh, that, that, that's the Damien Pierce this year. And then you go after yeah. him if you can win. Yeah. Yeah. Which so that, I mean that's where the value is. The problem is we don't want to be there. This is it. We don't want this running back on our roster. And then unless you're trying you to know, win, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. In which case you're not actively trading them away. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, we're in a period where running backs should be the dynasty buy right now, but it's really yeah. silly to buy running backs in dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> that's where that's kind of the meta right now. Everyone's like, I want to buy the running backs, but I'm obviously not going to. <laughs> what can you do with that? And honestly, I'm I'm joking a little bit, but it's kind of the truth. And yeah, so you have to. That comes down to your league. Like, how does your league play running backs? Do they hold on to them for their life? Then yeah, you just keep not buying them. But if they're more likely to be ageist or trying to get out of running backs, and it's really good year to try to win. Because CMC and Barkley, 
still going to be good. Um, and they're probably cheaper now they're a little older. And Damian Pierce, actually on a breakout arc, even though yeah. I don't think he's the best running back in the world. <laughs> I think he's very good. He's got the volume. He'll keep the volume. And, you know, based on expected trends, a guy like that is kind of what we should be expecting to be the type of breakouts this year, more than, uh, I don't know who, um, Roshan Johnson even. I like Roshan Johnson better as a player based on his college performance, but like that, mm-hmm. that's a little less likely. Um, even, even though I still like him as a rookie ADP, then even someone like Damian Pierce providing more value than possible. So it comes down to what can you do in your league. And if you can't do anything, that's fine. I think we'll go for tight ends or something or we'll play checkers. I'm up. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, actually, man, we're getting close to time and we haven't really talked about quarterbacks. So I'm probably getting I'm, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to skip over the, the rest of the running back thoughts and just go straight to quarterback. So you love every quarterback. So uh, like Sam, Howell, Desmond Ritter, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo, fun. we're just, so it's, it's a golden age of quarterbacks, right? With those guys, Mac Jones, like so, based on that, has that has that influenced your approach to the quarterback position at all? Tell you what, um, my approach to the quarterback position, if, as far as I have one, other than playing value and knowing exactly what's going to happen in the future, because obviously I do, um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, is different based uh, compared to how I play in leagues, because in my leagues. Like no one will let me, and I just literally let me play late quarterback. Like I, I like, I, I like having uh, multiple guys that no one likes. I want the old guys. Give me Tom Brady last year. Give me Ben Roethlisberger in his not heyday. Um, uh, let me go looking for the Gardner Minshew one one off seasons, or I'd be really interested in Davis Mills at his current price right now, um, kind of a thing. But, like, it's just not on the cards in my leagues. Like, the value doesn't work that way when it comes to trades and when it comes to how my leagues operate. And so what I've been doing instead is going the exact opposite way. My teams have Lamar Jackson because he's good. Kyler Murray, they have Patrick Mahomes. They have Justin Herbert's a really big buy for me right now. So is Kyler Murray because of the window where people are uncertain. And, like, I've been going basically top five. I want two top fives, and you can all deal with it when it when when we're in season because like, <laughs> I can't uh, like I, I can't do it I've got Jared Goff as a QB three I normally I wouldn't necessarily advocate from having three startable quarterbacks because it's a stupid way of playing fantasy as as you and everyone knows <laughs> having more quarterbacks Damn than it. you need and <laughs> but it, it's just the way it's working in my leagues right now they're still a little bit undervalued in the market but in a lot of my leagues there's a really sharp value line on them like again one of the things I used to argue, I used to argue the same thing with John Bosch as you, because he is a was at least a fan when he did with drafts of taking all the quarterbacks and then letting everyone else figure it out. You're going to pay me now or later. You're going to pay me and I'm just going to stand <laughs> here and you can try and organize a strike and say no one trade with John, but someone's going to trade with me. And I kind of love mm-hmm. the energy because, again, it's trying to take advantage of something that isn't I'm the smartest person in the room. It's just you're going to have to have quarterbacks, right? I don't know what's going to happen, but these guys are going to be necessary. So I'm going to wait for you to need them. And I, yeah. I kind of I like the idea. My argument against it was quarterbacks, 
even in Superflex, they aren't really, there's not a, a range of value. They are valuable or they are not. Like Davis Mills right now should probably be worth a late first round pick. But if you send that to someone for a late 23 first or 24 first right now, most people are like, ah, I'll see what happens. I want to keep my first. And like, you don't want to trade them for seconds, but they're probably worth thirsts. And so they end up being packed. It's very difficult to get it out of it. Um, quarterback position in a sharp league like Matthew Stafford should probably be worth a late first, worth a first to a non contender. But the non contenders, like, well, especially if it's a sharp league, it's like, my, why would I trade for Matthew Stafford and maybe finish a little bit better when I can just have a lower pick and not give you my pick and then right. draft a rookie? And so, depending on how your leagues work or where the mindset or the way that your league plays, it can be really difficult to access the value of quarterbacks even though they are a little undervalued especially in superflex you're right to focus it it's just i think the reality of trying to play with it can be really difficult um sometimes in fact a lot of times what if though we just in in this is something that you just talked with daddy's home mike faella about the concept of value which has been a hot topic here as well uh, the last few weeks and, and it's, it's very interesting to me, but like, what if we're not talking about value at quarterback? What if we're mm-hmm. talking about the scoring advantage, which for me, that's, that's what the, the, uh, the strategy is all about, you know, mm-hmm. number one, I'm taking quarterbacks out of circulation. You know, people are going to say, that's an aspect of it. It's true. If you do it enough, you are limiting uh, what other people can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing is, I mean, it, this is, this part is really, really hard for people to, uh, even consider much less implement, <laughs> but stream within your roster is the other thing you can do. You can play matchups. Cause we've seen that, a, a you know, an okay quarterback in a great matchup can outscore a good quarterback in a horrible matchup. So, uh, yeah, we've had this conversation before. It's all about how willing you are to bench Mahomes for Davis Mills because he has the right start this week. I mean, and, and you're willing to not exactly that comparison, but you're willing to do it. And yeah. that's one way of trying to take advantage of your strategy. But it seems really thin. It's like um, it's like it's like taking him out of the pool. I agree. That, it's a really smart aspect of the way of playing Superflex. Superflex X or whatever you call it. <laughs> uh, I only listen to you. You know what it's called. You know your things. Um, but it's really thin. Like it feels like a light march. Because I promise you, you get in a league with Zach Reed and he is going to make you cry with the amount of replaceable production he finds it from a not quarterback. He's going to play JD McKissick up against your David Davis Mills and he's going to beat him. He's going to beat him every week with some waiver wire running back, darling. <sighs> and you're going to be like, ah, shit. Um, and that's just one team out of 12, don't get me wrong, but you're still scoring less points at flex than some replaceable players at wide receiver and tight end because the scoring advantage exists for quarterback, but it's on a scale. Like the top five quarterbacks are like phenomenally different. But again, late round QB, you can get really deep in quarterback before you're seeing a lot of different, outside of those top five, a lot of difference in value. Playing the quarterback 17 versus the quarterback eight, you're fine. The, the value on a week-to-week basis isn't too great. Now, if you're talking about the weekly rank, yes. But then again, to your point, the quarterback eight that week might be Davis Mills. And so right. it becomes that question of how likely are you to get those positions right. So it's not 
that I and disagree it, necessarily with the idea. It just seems all real thin. Like I'm going to guess the right starts and I'm therefore I'm going to outscore everyone on every other position, even though, you know, the quarterback 14 on average, more often than not, is going to be scoring less than like the running back 20, 20 or so. I can't remember the exact numbers. So you have to win in all these different ways. And it's a real, it just feels real thin. And it's not yeah. that it's not possible. And at the end of the day, I think the value argument is one of the best because at the end of the day, you got the quarterbacks. You're like, okay, right. I didn't win, but you're <laughs> going to give me stuff and I'm going to get other stuff with it because the quarterbacks are the quarterbacks. So I, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's bad. Well, actually, yeah. I'm actually saying it's bad. Yeah, teaching are. people a bad just... strategy. No, it can work. I'm just <laughs> the margins for it, again, assuming that league mates aren't just going to make mistakes left and right and give you like Justin Jefferson for Matthew Stafford every day. Mm-hmm. Um, they just seem a little thin to me for an idiot who's who just feels like he's not going to make every start sit the right way and does think that some of those waiver wire picks are going to be made by other people and played against me and my quarterback the quarterback who i played that week isn't going to outscore them it's going to be similar and so i have to win a wide receiver and running back but i can't because i got all my value in quarterbacks and Definitely so many different ways of playing in fantasy, especially in Dynasty, that work. And definitely I would try it out because it's not a common strategy, which means that thin margin is probably a little thicker than I'm making it sound because no one in your league is trying to play against it. (laughs) Like there's not many Zach Reeds. There's not everyone planning not to play a QB2, (laughs) which he actively (laughs) is. So it's probably a little thicker than the extreme that I'm talking about. But those two ways of winning in points are thin um can become awful thin in a league that becomes aware of what you're doing or just is playing very well in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's why we disagree on it. Well, disagree right. to the extent of how, how much we do it, I guess. Right. I mean, the other thing, I don't, I, I'm not in a league with Zach. I don't know how that happened, but somehow oh. him and I are not. Well, I he mean, should be. He's part of it is he doesn't. <laughs> part of it is he doesn't particularly like superflex. Um, but I that was I, I know that. Anyway, Kyle, uh, Kyle. I think Kyle hated PPR, if I remember. Kyle right. hates everything. That's <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There it is. That's what it was. He hates right. tight end premium for sure. Because <laughs> right. everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everyone who looks at numbers hates tight end premium. That's just a fact. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like, so it, it, but you know, having not played against Zach, like that feels anecdotal to me. Just that's like, fair. But do you really maybe think Zach can do it, to but... think that that's fair? But it, do you really like think it's, it's an... anecdotal to say someone in your league is fairly good at starting or picking up players or starting running backs or is willing to start a non-quarterback in a super... I don't think that's... I I, I think... Yeah, it, it, it does. It, because that's a needle thread, right? To go find J.D. McKissick for that week. I mean, you can... And, and it's easier to do it at, at running back than any other position. That's my point. Still, Let's see. Like, that's like finding a top five running back to replace a top 14 quarterback. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole range in that. Like... I think your thing is raising <laughs> So we're saying the same thing about about opposite opinions here. but Because right. um, I think the, the scoring value of most quarterbacks, like the majority of quarterbacks, is not that different than decent running backs and wide receivers. And, you know, really, uh, 
I really, I mean, we could look it up, but you probably know as well as I do, which is not at all. Neither of us memorize numbers well. But like 14 <laughs> points a game from quarterback, what, 14 or 15 or so, that's not so irreplaceable when you're talking I mean, about running backs and wide receivers. It feels like it's it's higher than that. And again, like you said, I don't have the numbers <laughs> memorized. Not either, gonna, we could, but we're like, not going to <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> but for, I mean, for years, this is the thing I was beaten over the head with, right? It's a value over replacement. The fact that quarterback two scores similarly to quarterback 16, whatever, like all the way through the position, they all have, you know, a, a, a similar floor. It's not the same, but it's similar. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, so the difference on a weekly basis would be what's the upside to this particular player. Um, and, and hmm. like, so if that's the case, then, I mean, aren't we just, aren't we admitting out loud that every starting quarterback has a, like a, a reasonably high floor? I mean, I haven't heard the VORP argument in a long time. Um, you know, I, and, and a big part of it is people are noticing that there is an advantage with Pat Mahomes. But again, the, the the advantage with Pat Mahomes isn't that he necessarily has a higher weekly floor than anybody else. And it's certainly not that he has more. I mean, he's got a little bit more upside. It's that he's he's more consistently, you know, kind of uh, somewhere in between the, the floor and the ceiling. He, you know, like every week he's kind of a top 12, even top five quarterback. Um, where, you know, nobody else is particularly consistent at that, which is why I think... No, that's it's just Patrick Mahomes pretty much. <laughs> Maybe Josh Allen, that's about it. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. shouldn't that make those guys benchable? Again, I understand the logic of it, and this is not that you can't play that way, but I do think you are putting yourself... And the VORP argument isn't an argument, it's just a thing. They, they, they score relatively similar through a reasonable range. And mm-hmm. um, let me try and put it this way. You're trying to win on a weekly basis through literally one position spot because it's not the quarterback. It's the second quarterback spot. You're trying to win right. right there and you have to make the right right start every week to get that upside week, which you're not going to do every week. No matter how mm-hmm. good you are, <laughs> you're not going <laughs> to not even going to roster the quarterback 14 to 18 that has that 30 point week for every week of the season. Mm-hmm. And you have to get the decision right, and then you have to hope, and and then you come up against the fact that other people are going to play quarterbacks who also score twenty points, and so you scored ten points more than them in that QB two spot. Mm-hmm. But they had wide receivers and running backs and tight ends, and you put all your value into this one spot that you're trying to win at. You know what I mean? It's not that it, there isn't a path to it, because again, you're not lying to people. It's not a bad idea. It's definitely something you can try and take advantage of. But to me, you're putting it all on the QB2 spot and I make the right start sits and I have the exact right roster to make sure I get that advantage more often than not. And I think you'd be surprised at actually how many running backs and wide receivers do score on top 30 overall on a week-to-week basis that aren't sure. top five, top 12 guys. Like like the quarterbacks, there's a lot of variance in there, especially a wide receiver if you're trying to play a flex. Yeah, it's just how likely are you to find the guy who comes off of waivers, you know, the running back who comes off of waivers to score 14 points or more. I, you know, ideally you kind of want more if, if we're saying that 14 points is 
kind of the floor for quarterbacks, which I mean, that's that seems I mean, that's your, reasonable that's, to me, right? You're putting yourself on that edge too. Like, how reasonable are you to plan when Davis Mills, Davis Mills, has a thirty point game? Like, you're playing, <laughs> you're playing that game with guessing the schedule. I think if you can allow that, that's possible. You can allow that's possible for running back and wide receiver. No, like if 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 uh, start sit decisions are gameable, they're gameable. Yeah. Like, I think it's remarkably hard. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a redraft person. I try not to win on start sit decisions because what the fuck do I know about what's going to happen <laughs> next week? Everything right. seems non predictive from quarterback matchups to cornerback matchups. But someone's making money in DFS, so there must be some viability to it. But <laughs> like, they seem really <laughs> difficult. But if we're going to say it's possible, then it's possible for not just a quarterback. Yeah, like if you can predict the quarterbacks doing well, you can predict that his wide receivers or tight ends that lead in target share are going to do well that week. Right. I guess what I'm saying though is the burden isn't on me to you know to quote unquote get it right. <laughs> All I'm saying is it's not my responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Prove this. <laughs> it's your team. Do do what you're gonna do. What you want. It's your team. No, uh, but like. Uh, you know me against whoever i matched up with that that week it's not <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. because it, you know the the quarterback it, you know i i bench my quarterback 2 for my quarterback 4 or 5 because i feel like there's a good right right you know there's a good matchup that i could exploit i end up getting that wrong okay i still got that 14 point floor because that's just kind of what quarterbacks cool. do it's a you know floor with quarterbacks too like quarterbacks so, course, bad quarterbacks quarterbacks that aren't in the top seven scored seven points on five points on a fairly regular basis it's not a 14 point floor that's the that's the average but again yeah. if we're talking about the variance of week to week like yeah davis yeah. mills put up some seven point games <laughs> but we would see that coming don't you think like how how likely is it that Davis Mills going up against, you know, the the worst defense in the league right. isn't going to at least get you to that floor. So if and as long as he does that, you you know, if if you lose that week, it's not because of Davis Mills. Like he still he did exactly like kind of the bare minimum. He didn't take advantage of the of the matchup the way you had hoped, but he didn't give you a you know Yeah, a, I, mean, a, I mean you can't that's the thing. I don't think I'm just going to accept that. I think we disagree <laughs> slightly there, but let's let's run with it. Okay. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Like, I've got it. Forget it. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I win, right? So, but no, because you're putting. Yes, you might not. You might have a floor at the QB two spot, but you're putting everything into the QB two spot, and not everything. I know you are overly mm -hmm. fond of drafting running backs, and you have other good players. You, do build pretty good dynasty rosters. It's not like that's all you have. Right. But when you build a dynasty squad around winning at that spot, just getting the floor, which is actually seven, not 14, but still, <laughs> it then has to compete against the other teams. And presumably, especially to get advantage with a strategy, they're not building that way. So, okay, you got the floor, say, 40% of the time because you did really well, um, which meant you didn't lose at the QB2 spot. But mm -hmm. they're also playing that same game at their running back two spot and the wide receiver two and three spot and the tight end three spot. And they've been putting more of their value into those positions, which presumably means they're going to, again, just assuming they're fairly good players or, you know, not as good as you, obviously, John, but fairly good players. <laughs> they're going to be getting the floor 
or upside at those positions as well. Whereas you've been funneling it all into quarterback as much as possible to the point that you've got backup quarterbacks that started games that week. Like you can't get there without having drain value from somewhere else in your roster. Unless you've just done a really good job building your squad, which again, I've seen you do and I know you can do, and it is possible. So you've got all those quarterbacks and you're also competitive at those other spots. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just the thinness of it. It's not only do I have to build for quarterback, I just have to, I have to do it and also be a competitive running back to wide receiver two, wide receiver three and tight end one. Cause that's the only one that matters, but no one's competitive there except for the guy who has Travis Kelsey who, who really gets. But yeah. again, there is variance in those tight ends. Like that tight end spot, assuming they're going to do pretty decent, they will get the matchup right at the streamer that week or their uh, Pat Faramuth who's, Freaking awesome. We should talk about him and catches a touchdown that week or, and so they are looking for those edges as well. And they've put more value into trying to improve those spots because they're not stuffing it as much, just in general theory, as much into the quarterback spot, not to say you couldn't build a roster that competes that way, but uh, broad strokes, if you're funneling more value, just assuming we're fairly decent at value into quarterback two, you're funneling less into those other spots where they can also find significant VORP arguments, to put it uh, in the language, in, with the calculation that you were talking about, where you do see um, also significant value differences. You know, you, you can get 20 point, even 30 point weeks from running backs, wide receivers, or a tight end, and suddenly, that that baseline, even if we accept it's fourteen, which it's not, at quarterback <laughs> didn't mean nothing. And it's just, it's just you scored a little bit better. You know, that's that's cool, but you didn't increase your chances because they were beating you on the. You know, they got five extra spots where they're putting value to try and beat you. Yeah, I mean, just when I've got broad stroke. <laughs> right when I have five quarterbacks on my roster, then like the 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 floor is at least 14 points not seven just because i mean like if if there's a seven point performance coming like i said i feel like i'm gonna see that coming so but anyways okay. it, it but uh, that's the different that's that that's that's the disagreement we have on it and again really disagreement to your entire life policy so i'm <laughs> saying it gently as i can because i don't think it's bad i definitely think it's where you can play in dynasty i've seen you do it and do it well it's it's just for me, in terms of the way I choose to play, I'm like, oh, man, that puts me too. I think that's the best way I can say it too thin of an edge. Like, yeah. I have to beat them here, here, and here so that my baseline at quarterback two definitely wins. All right, let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I guess. <laughs> All right. Um, instead, and again, I'm, I'm playing that DLF league with you, and that's one of the leagues that it's ended up happening. I haven't found a way to play how I would, on average, tell most people to try to build. And so, like, my quarterback and tight end position is thick as hell. My onesie position is thick because I couldn't buy – I still can't buy Juju Smith-Schuster in that year. Like, that's how that league is. They're like, <laughs> nope, you're overpaying or you're not getting them because they, they play value and they're good at it. And they know I like him. So I'm just sitting there like, I can't even get my cheap guys. So, like, I'm going <laughs> to go get the upside that I can, which is weirdly – um, having two top five quarterbacks because Lamar Jackson is one, obviously said in the super flex, super slow. So it's definitely a fact. And I'm going to keep talking. So you can't interrupt that and change that fact. And, and Patrick Mahomes. And, and the, the other way, the reason I do it that way is specifically because I know this team isn't going to be viable forever. They're going to beat me again this year. And at a certain point, like it's going to be silly because I've traded a lot of draft picks to keep going. So, but 
to your point, the reason I'm okay is because I'll get something Pat Mahomes. I'll be able to rebuild the team with those thick quarterbacks. Whereas if I invested all in having the points per game advantage that you're talking about comes a lot from players that are much harder to definitely trade away. Whereas if I just go for the elite guys, if I'm going to go heavy QB, then I can at least, you know, I'll get some draft picks. I'll try and rebuild the team. Whereas trying to wait for the window to get like a late first or a second from Davis Mills. Or, I don't know why I'm just picking on Davis Mills, by the way. There are plenty <laughs> of others. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, she's another one at random who sucks. Kenny Pickett. Like, Kenny Pickett is fine. He's very viable this year. He's a fine quarterback. He he's going to be a fine NFL quarterback. He's going to suck. Is he? he? <laughs> yes, but he's going to be fine. So waiting for the window when someone desperately needs Kenny Pickett, if that happens this year on a competitive roster, so I can trade him for a first, a late first, <laughs> and is even like I feel less sure I'm going to be able to do well with that if I just stack up QB rather than pushing it into some elite assets. Whereas if I have to, if I have to sack this roster this year, then you know I, Mahomes and Lamar Jackson will trade for Summon. <laughs> it's like yeah. Kyler Murray right now. He's a buy to me, like a really strong buy. I love it when the market has uncertainty about things because there there is uncertainty we generally don't know what's going to happen but we do know it's going to be healthy at some point right which right. means there's going to yeah. be a window and i actually think he's pretty good when he's healthy even if he doesn't like football apparently um <laughs> so there's more opportunities to but still trading for him i can't get him for like a second or i can't get him for kenny pickett money i have to give way more because i think the chances of getting out for way more if i have to is also as uh, as similarly decent so uh, yeah elite or nothing like go go up or go down it's like tying end of quarterback for me like you want you want travis kelsey or really who cares <laughs> pat Faramuth, i guess yeah sure so I, actually, okay I like so, him a lot but. yeah uh okay so you're you're playing set it and forget it at quarterback and super flex what position Kinda. what position are you making weekly decisions on Although I would say, again, you've seen this. Like, I've thrown so much value into the court. Like, it's it's set it and forget it. But my third is Jared Goff, who's going to be a pretty easy start whenever I have to start him with Armand Ross and Brown. And then off. I mean, he's just Jared Goff. He doesn't know which uh, side of the world the sun moves on. But he's, <laughs> he's, he's fine, at least for this year. So I've thrown so much at it. Even my QB2 is usually like... Jared Goff is usually my number one starter if I'm building how I ideally like to play and he's my <laughs> QB3 in that league. So I'm more like you in that league than any other league, really. Um, but what was your question? Uh, what positions are you... If you're not making decisions at quarterback, if you're playing mostly set it and forget it, which I assume a big part of that is avoid decision fatigue at a position where, um, at least to you, they're they're isn't really a reason to think about it what position is worth thinking about it on a week-to-week basis i don't i yeah. don't do a lot uh, in terms of start sets i do projections i, I have them with other people's projections who are pretty sharp and have a pretty good track record and i try and make start sit decisions based on something i call the start sitinator because i had to come up with a title real quick after i made the <laughs> sheet and that was it and it just spits out who's on average projected to do better. And then it makes some uh, positional adjustments for certainty of projections. And, mm. um, you know, it, it leans running back for a floor a little bit and wide receiver more consistently scores its average. So 
uh, does that and devours Thailand a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I, I try to stay pretty basic with start sit decisions. Like I'm not, I'm not benching Alan Ra because Hunter Renfro's got a good match. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, right. I'm not DFS stud. I'm never going to make that million dollars. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Um, but uh, I will on average do fine with start sit decisions. I actually. I don't play year to year or week to week. I certainly don't play in three week windows. I'm just continually trying to improve my roster. Um, mm -hmm. So, like the start sit decisions, especially in Dynasty, measure into my process, as it were, relatively little. Like, if I have a good enough squad, it will score well, even if I miss some start sit decisions, which everyone's going to eventually. But I'm trying to do as well as I can at start sits. But the week to week stuff is not why I'm trying to find my edge. It's the guys I'm starting. Or have a choice between a better and better and better. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, ideally. Well, you just again <laughs> trade back to my homes, and I guess we're going back to a rebuild. Like this did not work. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I'm staring okay. down the barrel of it in that league, John. I like my team a lot, but you know, it, it's that old dynasty uh, fallacy. If someone shows you a team that's really hot, ask to see their picks, and they'll be like, no. Because <laughs> yeah. they've traded them. Like, I think I have a 25 fourth left. <laughs> but my starters look great. <laughs> so by week four, I'll be like, I should probably build. Um, but that's <laughs> we're in the third year of that league, I think, now. And I was really competitive in the first year, although Dynasty Outhouse just blew us all the way. Last year, I was really competitive towards the end. I cycled my running backs into wide receiver and then cycled them back into quarterback. It turned out in Thailand, like I said, for last year. And I was competitive. I was top fives by the time I started bailing out. Um, and that's against some I, who I think are pretty good players. But that's my cycle. Like, I'm really trying to win in year one, but I'm trying to maintain value and points per game. In the second year, I'll go all in again on the same thing. I'll build for the team that I have. But by year three, I'm pretty sure they're going to kick my ass again. And it's going to be a, how do I want to reform this roster? Because I have no picks. I'm going to need picks. Um, but hopefully, because the guys I've got, like Jane uh, Waddle and Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Um, I've got Kittle. I've got Pat Faramuth. I think it could be a competitive roster. Mm -hmm. But again, on a week, we know that you know a team that looks good in week one looks terrible week three because they're all injured <laughs> or they actually don't. You know, George Kittle's done for some reason, even though historically that shouldn't be true. And so I'm going to be like, well, I, I have no more picks to keep revolving this roster. It's going to have to mean trading players. And because it's such a tight squad by year three for me, that the minute you start trading players, it's no longer it's like a competitive roster. And so I go from all in on good, really, hopefully, high-value players to turning it all for value. It's like I don't have a three-year window, but that's the way that league is shaken out. I've been competitive two years, haven't yet won it, but I still have a really thick, valuable starting lineup. And if it's not looking good this year, I'll be able to immediately go into building instead of wondering who I can, who I can trade, who's – favorite sleeper i have i can trade for a first because in my league like no one's trading a first for again i'm not I'm not going to con someone into jared judy if he has um a few good games into giving me three first round picks so trade him appropriately and what i need is extreme draft capital to build and so i'll have to have things worth that which is again why i've built that roster i mean again technically it's not strictly how i rank or how i suggest to build but in that league, it's a highly competitive league. Everyone on there has got a podcast and thinks they know what they talk, they're talking <laughs> about. Um, 
as no, probably none of us do. And so that's the way it's yeah. shaped up. And the reason I'm going through all that is because the way I play is going to change a lot based on how it goes. And so that's how I've constructed that. That's how I'm playing that league. But if you go to my Trade Addicts League, I basically spent the first six months because it was called Trade Addicts and I wanted to test the waters, trading for every sleeper I wanted. And I proved my theory that sleepers suck. And now I have nothing. I have nothing. So I've been <laughs> trading for value. I've been trading for draft picks. I traded for Carla Murray recently, assuming I trade him a bit better in season when he's starting and healthy. And then so that roster is complete trash and draft picks. And in the, the other league I've got that I pay a lot of attention to is Nickelodeon League. I screwed that one up because I went heavy QB because I love Andrew Luck. And I still do love that man. And <laughs> But between him and my other quarterback giving up the ghost that year that we drafted, I was immediately in a rebuild despite having drafted to be a competitive team with young players. And so I've been uh, I've been building that roster for a while. But this year I've got Bajam Robinson. I've got Brees Hall. I've got Armand Ross St. Brown. I think I've got Jalen Waddle on that squad too. I've got Trevor Lawrence and Dak Prescott, and I'm going to make a run. So I mean, there's no – in the leagues that I'm playing, the idea I'll, I'll build a roster one specific way. It's just, it's it's not going to work. Everyone in my leagues is smarter than me and knows more about Dynasty, so I just try and squiggle out to the side. And whatever you're not doing right now, I'll go do that. Like, you don't like expensive <laughs> quarterbacks? I'm going to go get the expensive quarterbacks. Cool. Um, you're all competitive, because that Nickelodeon League is full of, like, best ball-winning bastards. And so they've been <laughs> kicking ass with old guys for three years where I'm like, I'll take your picks. And now suddenly my squad looks good. But that's just because not because I got bad like they traded badly it's because they've been kicking ass for three years that's why they were giving up their pick they've won this league because i was immediately <laughs> screwed because of my quarterback situation in a best ball league that only picks up waivers once or twice a year which means i couldn't even go get garden mentioned so i had no quarterback and uh but the reason i have that squad now is because they've literally been building much smarter than me or as just as well it's not because i've cheating them or secretly have done well like talking about the podcast this week with mike he's trying to beat with trades like i i've got no hope i've got no hope that the people in my leagues are going to accidentally give me too much smarter <laughs> <Like just> <laughs> than me they know my tendencies i can't figure out their tendencies so instead i just give what take what the league's giving me and in that one they, they were more willing, some teams were more willing to trade picks, especially for the younger players that I still had, um, who my immediately producing players at fair value, and they went and won with them. So again, <laughs> I didn't beat them, but it gave me a path to building. That's what the league situation allowed me to try and do. So I've been doing that, and hopefully this year it can be, hopefully it can be a little more competitive. It's been painful on that one so far. <laughs> yeah. I still miss Andrew Luck. <laughs> yep <laughs> did you hear that uh i think it was a six episode podcast series i want to say from the athletic about oh, yeah. andrew luck um no, I don't yeah. Think I have. yeah like it, it talks about i, I mean I, i'm the fine by the way i'm fine with him leaving football i'm not mad it sounds like he made a decision and the way right. that, that honestly i'm real mad if i'm mad at anyone they let him get destroyed they never made exactly. a line pick and it made me angry at the time and i try not like these are I, I humanize as you said like these people and real people even the gms real people making very tough decisions a million like what would i know but it felt like they just destroyed that kid like that's one of the that's, few things about football i was like man this feels wrong it feels 
wrong, like on a moral level almost, <laughs> to let that kid go out there and just one of the best talents and just get destroyed. Right. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get on that horse. But I, yeah, that was that was sad to see. But yeah, I'm very happy that... he made a decision that's best for him. He seems very happy and he's healthy and like good. Go, don't worry about my dynasty roster. You know, maybe <laughs> you're a little bit more important. <laughs> he's he has an awesome podcast now where he talks to uh, to experts in like very random fields. Like he was oh. talking to somebody who's like an expert in. Uh, I think in the composition of different kinds of concrete, it, it was really hard really? to tell what exactly they were talking about, but he was so freaking into it. Like it, this, this podcast series will just, it'll make you love Andrew Luck even more. It'll make you pissed off at Bolian <laughs> and, uh, and Jim say like it, it, it's going to make you absolutely hate that organization for what they did to him. And the, the, the surprising hero to come out of that for me was Jacoby Brissett. I have a totally different uh, oh, appreciation really? for Jacoby Brissett after he. Because hearing... Andrew was very positive on him as he was leaving. He was like, "This is a guy. This guy's been great. Yeah, and he's going to do well for you." And and just like think about what an impossible situation that was for Jacoby Brissett to take over for Andrew Luck. You know, and yeah, now... not just a quarterback, not just finally getting your start, but hey, just take over from Andrew Luck for a second, would you? Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah just immediately do that, no problem. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and just kind of out of nowhere, like in the in the middle of preseason. Uh, oh, by the way, like you're going to be the long term starter here because oh, he's by the way <laughs> he's retiring in the like the last preseason game or whatever, and then to do it again, you know, as like to be the placeholder for for Deshaun Watson for most of a season. It's like yeah. Jacoby Brissett ends up in some impossible situations. He's just a fixer. Like there's a yeah. possible QB situation. Get me Jacoby <laughs> Brissett. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's get that man to Baltimore next. <laughs> I was gonna say he's kind of a he's like he's like the cat that senses cancer. If you see Jacoby Brissett, go to your team. Start worrying what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So back to Indianapolis he goes. <laughs> I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I hope that's not the case. Uh, I, again, really rooting for Anthony Richardson. My only take too. on it is, it is to appreciate how hard it is to be what they hope he is. Like he's phenomenal. He did amazing things in college. He is not. I think he's passed in his entire career the same amount as one NFL typical first round draft pick passes in like half a season. Like that's right. the passing experience he has. And not and, and to make this not a I hate because I think people go too far. I, he's good, he's bad, he's the, what they've put on that kid is to be something that Lamar Jackson, my how much you hate him, and Jalen Hurts and, and and Josh Allen have figured out, but spent phenomenally more time trying to. And it's mm -hmm. a thing that lots of people are trying to do, obviously. And very few have succeeded. It's like really, really hard to do. It's not that he's bad if he can't. It's that it's really hard to be a really good passing quarterback, or at least, right to your point about especially Jackson, when you're an above average or average not. NFL passer. That's right. really hard. <laughs> especially we, yeah, when you, when you're just three hundred times he's thrown the ball three hundred twenty times. Like oh yeah, right. I could definitely go do that thing that only like one percent of the world's population can maybe do yeah that's fine i'll do that <laughs> and rooting for it but just 
recognize how unlikely how phenomenal is, yeah. he will have been to have done that. That if anything, right. it's giving him a window to say, "Hey, look, that that was it's it's a Josh Allen thing." Like, shut up, me and everyone else. Like I was talking <laughs> about how rare it is and how difficult it is, and then he did it. And I've shut up about Josh Allen ever since. Like that is amazing <laughs> what he did from year one to year two. Never happened before. And and yeah. Richardson's got a higher mountain to climb. Like uh, uh, it would be phenomenally impressive. Yeah, absolutely. If. It, and it it all comes. Oh, down Jacoby's to... in Washington. We're in trouble, folks. Right. Sam right. Howell yeah. Is in trouble. Sam. Sam Howell. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I would not be surprised at all. I mean, it actually just came out today. We're recording this on a Tuesday, June thirteenth, and it just came out today that they're actually they're competing for that. They've been saying all. Uh, you know, since the season ended, that Sam Howell is a starter in 2023. Good now it's I, I assumed, but now I see Jacoby's there. I'm not so sure. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, oh wait, John says this is like that He's cancer a... cat. <laughs> <laughs> He's a grim reaper, man. And uh, that I mean, there's nothing you can throw at him anymore either. So. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, in the most positive way, like the cat's trying to console, and Jacoby's doing his best to help out people. About <laughs> like, love Jacoby, right. but it's a bad sign. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't think we're gonna go all in on this idea, but I mean, it's there if we need it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, man, like I could talk to you forever. I mean, we already kind of did. Like we're looking at a hey, two-hour episode. Did. We kind of did. This is the, the just... end of the world happened outside. No one's alive left to hear it. I think we will emerge and be like, ah, oh, but who's gonna listen to the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> but we still record it. I still publish yeah, I it. Still put it out. I mean, obviously we. <laughs> We're the survivors. We'll see each other tomorrow. Like, I guess it's just me and you, John. What do you want to do? Go to water park? Cool. <laughs> That's be- this is the so- weirdest ending to a podcast ever. <laughs> the podcast is like our mammoth and sloth footprints. Oh, that's how that's how it's <laughs> that's how it's done right there. Full freaking circle. Took two hours and we made it all the way back to the start. So Seems like a good place to wrap it I'm up. I'm hoping, but... by the way, the next episode, I haven't written it yet, I've been researching, it puts me back on track. Because that one's a little too, like I said, some people were like, I don't I don't get why that, I didn't tie the bow or whatever. I didn't really emphasize how that historical example really fit in with the breakout trends I was talking about. <laughs> it doesn't. I'm trying my best to talk about lots of things I'm interested in. But the next one, I, I, I'm going to try and talk about like the worst draft class and what that looked like. And so it should be like an actual story about NFL players instead of a woman walking over baby. <laughs> so that should be more directly in line <laughs> with what you're looking for from fantasy content instead of archaeological discoveries. <laughs> I liked it, man. I thought it was, and there was something along the lines of... It, I'm it working like, hard on it. It might not always show, but I actually, I, I tend not to like put an effort into things. But like, because uh, no one does. If we're honest, we're all kind of want an easy time. And the podcast has become, I love doing podcasts. I love doing this podcast. But it's become a thing I do every week. And I tick it off on the DLF list, like accomplish something. But it was just, it was make, it, I'm doing the work. And instead I wanted to be like, well, we keep calling it creating. Why don't I try and create something? And so yeah. I'm really trying to put in work to make it something interesting or different. Uh, so I, I like hearing that. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, it's it's it, in that episode. Even though it didn't feel 
like it didn't you know, add up. I, I think I could have added it up. I didn't to yeah, you. I didn't quite get that. I, I mean, I, like I made the connection. I think that people who are who are really paying attention could make the connection pretty easily. It's the it's probably the people who are just like, dude, just just tell me who to draft. Like those are the people who had a would have had a problem with it. But there was a I'd line. I like to in- think so, but I, I mean, the my Discord's like it's just my patrons and like the the person I'm thinking of. He, he's as smart as I am and as much about fantasy. I, I kind of understand what he meant because I, I was really working on it to, to the last minute. And I do feel like I could have tied it off better, but I, I like, really? I like coming up with reasons they're wrong. I appreciate that. No, no, he's just a, like, that's normally my default too. But I honestly think he was struggling <laughs> with I'm a fantasy folk. I mean, I like your trying stuff, Pete, but ultimately, uh, you know, uh, I didn't get it. <laughs> so, right. And it's good to hear from that. Like, uh, I appreciate the, my patrons have supported me through trying this weird thing and yeah. uh, constantly coming up with new things to create. So, uh, or new sheets to make and argue about historical trends instead of doing player evaluation. So I, I tend to take what they say pretty seriously um, and it's appreciated, but I do appreciate trying to defend me and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks. Yeah, no, it was funny. There was a line in there. It was something along the lines of she'll never know that we were there. And we'll never know that. That's the part that bugged me. Like when I read about it, it was actually on a Dan Carlin podcast. He brought it up. It was one of the more recent historical facts that I've heard that I was like, that's really interesting. And it was that idea that you could, you will always know she was there and she will never have known you were there. Yeah. And you're as close as two people can be apart from, you know, time. What's time? Seriously. I was like, that's so (laughs) freaky. Yeah, <laughs> and it fascinated me. But. but it's also kind of beautiful. I don't know. I liked it, but yeah, I like so, it. <laughs> not every episode is for everyone, but uh, every uh, every episode. I mean, there's a lot of work involved, and there's some very actionable, right. very very useful stuff in there as well. So it's entertaining. And it's not and every other week I is... bring on Dave uh, or Mike <laughs> uh, or you or someone else, and they actually talk about you know right, you know teach me regular stuff like how to make waiver claims and make trades so like every other week you get a break and uh, you know some serious fantasy content i guess yeah <laughs> sorry i don't so i know you're trying to get out of here i'm just enjoying talking to you i will no, shut you, up yeah, thanks me very too. much thanks for having me on <laughs> no yeah me it, it it was a lot of fun so dynasty crossroads uh dynasty grind and pump out the patreon i forgot about that at the beginning Uh, I didn't mean to plug the Patreon. That's literally just one of them. That's just literally the people supporting me do that and talking uh, to me about it. So, but yeah, sure. If you got a dollar, I got all the data you want. Plus, occasionally I write articles and I do videos and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to trash Twitter every week, like we should really kind of come up with an alternative. Patreon. As far as I know, to your pate, to your Twitter hate, by the way. Uh-huh. I am the only person who enjoys Twitter. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not liking 2, 2.0 or whatever Twitter this is, but I genuinely have had nothing but fun on that app. Really? Like, I mean, there have been a few moments, don't get me wrong, and there I know, like, I have friends who are female. I know <laughs> I know how much of a nice <laughs> place that can be, but that's kind of true with everywhere. But, like, I, I caught hate. I'm like, I can't wait to be owned. can't wait to someone to prove me. And every now and again, there's a little comment, which feels like a baby comment. Like, they went to troll school but didn't quite graduate (laughs) um but most of it's like hey thanks for the work and hey what do you think of this and i think nico Nico collins is gonna even that guy i mentioned earlier said he was gonna expose me i really like that wasn't a negative interaction he believed in nico collins like if you can't be 
like full stop, I am in on this for fantasy football when the rest of your life you're just trying to be a regular normal human being. Like I can, <laughs> yeah, you're allowed. I don't think you're a bad person just for wanting to stand up. Like we had a good conversation. It was fun. Sure. And and like <laughs> I feel like I'm doing something wrong because you and everyone else is like, screw this app and I hate this place. I'm like, how oh, my friends are there, man? <laughs> am I the try? <laughs> is everyone hating it because I'm there? Is that the like? Um, if you're, if you, if you, uh, what is it? Um, uh, if you don't rec, if you don't, if the problem doesn't sound familiar, then you're probably the problem. I guess that's me. Right. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess, but like, oh, man, ninety nine point nine percent of my time on there has been excellent. I mean, again, even with contentious arguments or people disagreeing, I'm like, it's fantasy football. We all get there, right? Yeah. So as long, like, uh, there's one person I think honestly had some issues, but like, there's a mute button, and I wish him well. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. Um, but then I hear from like Casey Kasem and uh, and the the stuff that gets and from you the the hates you've had. I'm like, God, maybe I'm doing it wrong. It's all been good over here. I don't know. Sorry, and I, I, like you talk about that every week, and every week I'm like, ah, I don't, I know, <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. It can be a, everywhere. It can be a trash ash place, but um, yeah. and no man, I, I can't enjoy it over there. Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm happy for you. I'm so so happy no, for you. Just be honest, <laughs> once. I'm, I'm not. I want you to get on on the same <laughs> page as me on this one. <laughs> We can disagree on quarterbacks. We can disagree on wide receivers. Twitter, disagree no. on Lamar Jackson. Just once. <laughs> That's I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're having the time of your life on Twitter. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say the time of my life. I mean, <laughs> but you know, I have experienced the birth of my children. That was pretty good. That was up there. <laughs> but, but Twitter's. Put us in the mix. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Sorry. I just, I mean, I always feel compelled to mention it because I talk to you out loud while I'm listening to your show. And one of the things that always comes up, I'm like, man, what am I? This is a nice place. <laughs> Zach's over there. He's fun. And uh, Casey's yeah. awesome. And uh, great conversation with Russ the other day on Twitter. That, that, it can be a nice place. Yeah. I, and, and that's the thing. Like, it, this is, I genuinely am happy for you because. It was that for me at one point. It's not anymore, but I've right. seen what it could be, you know? Right. It, it, but, like, back then... It gives then, me anxiety, was... John. I'm like, when does the ball drop for me? One day the trolls are just going <laughs> to emerge, and I'm like, fuck this place. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if no, uh, it's I, I'm, I've got nervous anxiety for when I experience the Twitter you experienced, I guess. I'm going to ruin my favorite thing. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. But it's not even just the trolls. It's it's for some reason it feels like you have le less access to your to your friends at some yeah. point. Like I don't see I, I for some reason I do see a lot of your tweets. Um sometimes I see them way too late and I'm right. like, "Man, that would have been a fun conversation 17 hours ago." But you know, now you've moved on to other I don't themes. look at the times. Maybe that helps. But this is a part where I explain how you're using Twitter wrong. But that's not true. If you don't enjoy it, you don't. Like, there's no, oh, what you're <laughs> meant to do is mute everyone. I'm not going to, like, if you don't like uh, something, you just don't like it. That's fine. I'm not, I don't think you're using it wrong. <laughs> but I, I kind of know what you mean. And you see less and less of your friends. But um, yeah. I've always kind of been on there just talk to anyone because I don't have any friends. 
and uh, <laughs> there's always someone. And I don't look at timestamps. Maybe I don't know. I'll figure it out one day, but uh, not not today. But it, you're right. You're getting less and less of the people that you would want to. I mean, and ultimately, why you can say things like mute people and block accounts, like that's the way it's trending. It's harder and harder to stay in your community. I think part of that, not to get on another two-hour topic, is we're changing. The community that was is becoming yes. a business that is. And so the community is still here. It's why it's so good here right now. But the community of people just having fun and enjoying a hobby, which we joined because it was already in flow and, and are a part of is also starting to become part of this larger fantasy business matthew berry uh, not that he's not part of the community but you know what i mean there's the yeah. there's a business around it now like people are getting bought up sites are getting bought up and there's money to be made so like the community is fitting into this i i think we're changing a little bit but uh but no you're not wrong uh, on this i will say if you don't enjoy twitter you have no obligation like <laughs> i can understand why but it is it is striking to me that um unfortunately we've had different experiences i met all my friends there and you lost all your friends on there so like that's not right, right. <laughs> i don't feel good <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it also is it like it kind of comes in waves a little bit and you and I, you and I kind of came into the community around the same time. You, you were here so. before I was, but, uh, you know, not by a lot. We were kind of part of not, a, not enough to notice, <laughs> right. I would guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Russ and Zach and, mm -hmm. you know, J Mike, like those guys, all we all just kind of came in at about the same time. Jake, um, you right. know, we were, we all just kind of came in at the same time. But like they also like a lot of those a lot of the people from that wave kind of leave at the same time too, and then the next wave comes in and you're like, I like I'm like I don't know you people go away and I'm way too introverted to go around introducing myself to another to another wave. I'm I'm very much that way too. I guess fantasy is the one space I've tried to let myself be a little bit more. Not extroverted by any means, but I, I'm happy to talk to new people, I guess. But yeah. I am, don't get me wrong, part of the old geezer squad. I just want the open bar and everyone <laughs> who hasn't been on the open bar can go away. But yeah. <laughs> it's like, I remember when. And uh, no, I, 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 I feel the feels. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't even know the opening bar, uh, you intro don't know music. the opening bar. What are if you? you don't, <laughs> I mean, what are you if you don't know the What are you doing bar? here? <laughs> you don't belong here. Get out of here, youngin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, common ground. That's definitely that's, a place. That's, that's the truth. That's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely. And that's the place for us to wrap it up as well. So, uh, like I said, it's been a few man. places, John. I keep finding new conversations. So you're gonna have to do something more than say it. You get, I'm sorry. <laughs> Got to actually just, just keep do it. Talking. La 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 la. <laughs> Freaking Peter Howard. Ah, uh, still, still one of my favorite people to talk to. Uh, also, just one of my favorite people to to hate on. But uh, uh, like, even when we like, whether we're agreeing or disagreeing, it's always always one of my favorite conversations so thank you for coming on we'll have to do it again way too soon way too it's gonna be way too soon uh let's wrap it up for the week and as we do that i'm gonna ask you for a quick favor if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts 
rate and review the podcast if you would that helps me to really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you my super friends by involving more people in the conversation this episode was dedicated in loving memory to james brain thank you to heart and soul radio for the music thank you to dlf for the platform thank you to pa howdy for coming on and above all else thank you for listening and until next week stay sexy and super flexible.